Driving that coach. 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 And welcome to another edition of Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. And I'm AJ. And we are back together, actually. Face to face. Face to face. Uh, I won't go so far as to skin to skin. I'm married. Okay. (laughs) You saying something wrong with me? I'm just saying I don't cheat. Good for you. Mm-hmm. All right, <laughs> uh, but yes, we are. We actually in the same place at the same time, as opposed to the last few goddamn months. Yeah. Uh, so we are actually happy about that because in fact we actually get to see each other. Yeah, which is always good. Which is dope. Are you kidding me? Yeah. All right, so uh, we're gonna go ahead and continue this show. Also, we're doing our first watch along that we've done. God knows, it seems like forever. It's been a while. It's been a damn while. But yeah, we are doing one that we've actually talked about since we started this podcast back in October mm-hmm. Dude, last year. It's been dude, almost a year. I was I was just about to say that we're almost reaching our one year anniversary of dropping that culture. One whole fucking year, dude. Just putting it in. Damn, that's what's up. But yeah, um, this is like I said, this is a movie we've been talking about for for a minute now, and we're finally happy to, that we get the chance to actually do it for you guys. Superman the movie from mm-hmm. 1978, definitely one of my favorite movies ever. I yep. uh, love this movie so much, man. Like, even like, it was a, I remember there was a period there where I hadn't seen it for years, and then I rewatched it again, fell in love with it again, man. I've been watching it like steadily, like every, maybe every couple of months ever since. You know what it is? It's the writing and the directing, but we'll get to that later. But it's so damn good. It's so <laughs> damn good. All right, so let's go ahead and start this thing out right. Uh, we're going to hit you up with uh, Seven Degrees of Eddie Murphy, uh, while I can connect any major American film star to the great Eddie Murphy within seven films. So, what you got for me today, AJ? Well, obviously, if we're going to play Superman, we got to start there. Christopher Reeves. Christopher Reeves. That's too easy, dude. I don't know. Well, hey, we're going to start there. I'm okay. you up. All right, First time in person. Uh, Christopher Reeves was in Superman 3 with, Chris, with Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor was in the Harlem Nights with Eddie Murphy. All right, there you go. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right, you, you want to go Superman-centric? Let's go Superman-centric. Think of some of the other people in that movie. No, because then you're going to get them all back in through <laughs> Keanu Reeves. No, 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 no. Not Keanu Reeves. Or not Keanu Reeves. Sorry, I'm looking at Keanu Reeves on the... On yeah. Christopher we're, Reeves. We're Sorry. looking at an ad for Christopher, uh, Keanu Reeves, Siberia, whatever. Which, I've never... Have you ever seen that? Never even heard of it. Never even heard of it. So, all right. Uh, so, uh, what you want? Gene Hackman. Good one. All right, cool. Uh, I'll go the other route. I won't go the Superman route, because he wasn't actually in Superman 3. So there you go. All right, so let's go. Gene Hackman was... Ah, I go this route. Gene Hackman was an Unforgiven with Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman was in Nurse Betty with Chris Rock. Chris Rock was in Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy. All right, I'm going to jump a little bit more. We're going to go out of Superman for a second because I want to see if I can screw you up just a little bit. I'm listening. Kevin Smith. He yeah. has been in movies as an actor. No, 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 no. He has. Yeah, right. Actually, you know what? I could go one route, but you know what? I'm not going to go that route. Let's go this way. Okay, cool. Uh, Kevin Smith was in Clerks 2 
with Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson <laughs> was in The Adventures of Pluto Nash with Eddie Murphy. You forgot about that shit. No, I didn't forget about it. I thought you were going to go via Bruce Willis. No, no, no. Let's go Rosario Dawson. Cause make sure, uh, since we're looking at uh, Keanu Reeves, we're also looking at a movie that stars Rosario Dawson as well. So. <laughs> well there you go. There you go. See? All right, so Christopher Reeve, Eugene Hackman, and what was the last one? Uh, oh, Kevin Smith. Cool. All right, got him. Go. All right, so let's go ahead and get, since we're already on a roll now, let's go ahead and get into the second one. And that will be WWBS. What would Busey say? Well, I do an improvised rant as the great Gary Busey. Hey, this is Gary Busey talking to Gary Busey. What time is it, Gary? It's time for WWBS. What would Busey say? What are we talking about today, Gary? With uh, with all of the um, rioting and everything going on, I, it occurs to me Gary lived through one of the last really tumultuous times we had, that being the 60s. I wonder what, what Gary's experience with the free love, the hippies, the rioting, all the stuff that happened in the 60s we grew up hearing about. I wonder if he knows anything about that. <sighs> well, the 60s. What a great time. Oh, my. God, I love the whole free love era, man. I really did. It was so fun. I got high damn near every goddamn day. I mean, on everything. Hash, quaaludes, acid, and of course, you know, grass. <laughs> I mean, if you want to go, you know, if you want to be conservative, yeah, I want some grass. But on top of that, sex was free back then. Sex was cool. There was no AIDS. Wasn't really no diseases. Like the most you get would probably be some VD, and that shit can get cleared up with some penicillin, man. It's, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing, man. I was having sex all the time, man. In weird places too. I had sex in a tabernacle. I had sex at uh, actually since we're talking about marches and riding, I actually had a. I was at the march of Selma, and I uh, had a very wonderful experience with a young uh, female protester there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of free love there. We were re- we were definitely uh, uh, united in our cause. If the if you get if you catch my drift, man, <laughs> united <laughs> means my penis was inside her vagina, man. I just I just want you I just want you to know that. <laughs> but that was great, bro. I love the sixties. And as far as the riding go, uh, well, in today's climate, I think they're riding wrong, man. I think they're riding wrong. See, back in the 60s, when you're riding, man, you're doing it to make a purpose. You're doing it to, 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 to kind of get the point across. Whereas today, they're robbing to get fucking shoes, man. Robbing to get shoes. Robbing to get stereos. Robbing to get goddamn, you know, uh, surveillance equipment. That's, that's ironic right there. You're robbing a place to get surveillance equipment. What kind of shit is that, man? Who really thinks about that? Me, personally, man, if I was riding today... Yeah, I usually I'll, I'll probably go with some uh, high end, uh, probably nice nice plasma screen TVs or something along those lines. Uh, maybe give me a couple of Apple Watches. I always like those. You know they they can tell you, they can tell you where you're walking. They tell you what time it is. Hell, they can tell you what the president had for breakfast. I love those things, man. But one thing I will say about all the rioting and all the you know the tumultuous that's going on in this country, man. One thing you need to learn, man. And I actually got this from a great quote from uh from uh. For Mad TV, I love that show, and it, and it says this is, and, and I think it really encompasses what true unity is in this country, and it says kids, 
Don't be so picky about who you sleep with. Because it all feels the same in the dark. Tiger blood. <laughs> the wisdom of Matthew. <laughs> yeah, man. It was, uh, I remember that shit. It was, uh, fucking, it was Will Sasso's Kenny Rogers. That was his message. That's right. That was his message to young America. Young America, don't be so, don't be so picky about who you screw because it all feels the same in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah! <laughs> Aren't you happy we're back together? <laughs> so happy! <laughs> all right, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> it all feels the same. This our, this our day. This our thing for the day. We, 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 we always have a little uh, saying that uh, well, <laughs> it the, usually some, it's usually Gary too that comes up with it. It sums up like the, what encompasses you know what the whole get down is for unity. Don't be so picky about who you screw because it all feels the same <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> Just like what, we, what was the one? There's a fine line between oh, yeah, yeah, scientific curiosity and, and sexual assault. assault. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about the aliens. <laughs> And of course, you know, no, uh, try not to eat fish so much because you might cause a, in, in a war with the city of Atlantis. <laughs> mm. uh, I love the, I love doing Busey, to be honest with you guys, because the fact it gives me a chance to improv, you know what I'm saying? Because the fact that everything's shut down right now, you need that shit, you know what I'm saying? You need something yeah. to kind of get the juices flowing. So, like, I it love it. It gets wild. Yes, it does. Yeah, that was great, Gary. How you doing today, Gary? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm Gary Busey. I'm doing great. <laughs> but since, since we're talking about wild, let's get wild here with another one of our favorite segments. <laughs> Roger Reed's Rap. Good evening, I'm Roger Moore. You may remember me from my time as Bond, James Bond. And I once exchanged bodily fluids with Louis Jordan. This is not so much a commentary as it were, it's more of a one-sided conversation as I cannot talk to you and you cannot talk to me. And now for another edition of Roger Reed's Rap. What is our selection for this evening? Good afternoon, I'm Roger Moore. For today's selection, I have to you an excerpt from the great 50 Cent I believe that's his name. And it's entitled Candy Shop. <clears throat> First stanza. I'll take you to the candy shop. I'll let you lick the lollipop. Go ahead, girl, don't you stop. Keep going till you hit the spot. Whoa. This is really ridiculous lyrics. I'm just I just wanted to say, oh, okay, we're on there. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <clears throat> uh, continue. <clears throat> you have to, you could have it your way. What do you, how do you want it? Are you going to back it up? Or should I push up on it? Temperature rising, okay, let's go to the next level. Dance floor jam-packed, hot as a tea kettle. That's clever. I like that. Break it down for you now, baby, and simple. If you be a nympho, I'll be a nympho. In the hotel, or in the back of the rental, on the beach, or in the park, it's whatever you're into. It's your, not you. I'm sorry, 50. 
Got the magic stick. I'm the love doctor. I'm finished teaching you. How about how sprung I got you? Something along those lines. Uh, wanna show me how it worked, baby? No problem. Get on top. Then get your bounce around like a little rider. Doesn't even rhyme. I'm a seasoned vet when it comes to this shit. If you work up a sweat, you can play with this stick. Mm. I'm trying to explain, baby, the best way I can. I'll melt in your mouth, girl. Not in your hands. Ha ha. Those actual lyrics. Ha ha. I'll take you to the candy shop. I'll let you lick the lollipop. Go ahead, girl. Don't you stop. Keep going till you hit the spot. Whoa. Thank you. And this has been another episode of Roger Reed's Rap. I am drunk. I mean, you know, it's it's not Shakespeare, but it's definitely, I, I, it's definitely not Shakespeare. I always I always appreciate hearing uh, Roger hearing Roger's take on things. <laughs> I am. I am curious. Eric is curious how um, how comfortable he is with the aggressive sexual nature of so many of the hip hop songs he's been asked to. Read. I'm feeling there are times where he's uncomfortable, but if you remember uh, in the promotion for the movie Octopussy, mm. he used to like go on talk shows all the time. Look it up. It's actually on YouTube. He would go on talk shows, and people would be like apprehensive about saying the name of the movie. You know, like uh, say Roger, especially in England. Roger, so we uh, we had to talk about your latest film. You mean Octopussy? <laughs> Every time. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Let us hear. Yes, 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 yes. Octopussy. <laughs> <laughs> you would do this shit all the time. Or what's even funnier, if you guys get the chance to watch the movie, watch Octopussy and watch Louis Jordan say Octopussy. <laughs> With the friendship. Yeah, that's pretty good. Octopussy. Because <laughs> he relishes this. He has this thing. Like I've been watching a lot of Louis Jordan things lately. I don't know why. I just, it just happened to be. He just happened to be in them. Uh, he's in the version of the Count of Monte Cristo. He did a Dracula, Swamp Thing. Of course, he's the bad guy, Swamp mm-hmm. Thing. And then, of course, Octopussy. And yeah, he has this thing where he will like take say one line and he'll repeat it a couple times. And in this particular movie, he picked Octopussy. It's a fun one to say. Octopussy. Well, you got to remember back then. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal to be able to say octopusy. <laughs> like this is like the Lenny Bruce days. Like that dude was getting arrested for cursing in public. So octopusy. <laughs> he was saying with such relish though. I love that shit, man. All right, so let's go ahead and get into uh, dropping that news. Dropping that news. And we actually have some uh, items this week, man. Uh, quite a few actually. Uh, let's go ahead and get into it real quick and pull it up for you guys. Right. First and foremost, actually big casting news for Marvel Studios. Uh, They've just cast who many people believe will be the next major Avengers villain. Uh, for those of you familiar with the comics, uh, there's a character named Kang the Conqueror, who is more or less like a uh, more or less Lord of Time type of character. Super powerful, comes from the 30th century and uh, usually comes back to our time to, you know, fuck with the heroes of our time, particularly the Avengers and more occasionally the Fantastic Four. And the weird thing about the character is he, like, he himself has appeared in several different other forms other than just Kane the Conqueror. He's also been known as uh, Rama Tut, 
uh, Amortis, the Silver Centurion, uh, uh, Iron Lad. There's actually a young version of him, Iron Lad. Hmm. Uh, and he just keeps coming back. And the funny thing, funny thing about it is, this the, the casting of this character actually opens up a new door for Marvel because of the fact it quietly opens up the universe of the Fantastic Four. Because huh. of the fact the character... Now they haven't, they haven't done anything with that in a minute. No, they have not. And the character actually debuted in the Fantastic Four comic as Roma Tut. So, and then they've actually established in the storyline that the character is a descendant of Reed Richards, the leader of the Fantastic Four. So, there's a connection there. Uh, the thing about it is they actually cast it with one of these stars of uh, Lovecraft Country on uh, HBO, a uh, dude named uh, Jonathan Majors. Hmm. I've actually have yet to watch Lovecraft Country. I've heard great things about it. Uh, for those of you not familiar with it, it's a Jordan Peele produced TV show on HBO. It's basically like a, a group of people... Uh, traveling through the Jim Crow South while dealing with like a uh, HP Lovecraft like monsters, hmm. which is really a weird like concept to put those two together, but apparently it's working great. I mean, it's not that much weirder than um, what was that uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane or whatever that was. Well, remember yeah, that? Clo- well, or was Clo- it just Cloverfield uh, Lane? It started out Cloverfield, then in, uh, I think Ten Cloverfield Lane is like one of the sequels. Or well, no, but did you did you ever see that one? I saw the original Cloverfield. I never saw the other no, one. So no, so Cloverfield Lane, this is why I was going to say it, it's why it's super different. It's actually, I, I like it better than Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. The problem with Clo- the original Cloverfield was that it was too, with, with all the found footage stuff they were trying to do, mm-hmm. it was too much bouncy shit. And yeah. so like it was, it was just made, it made me sick to watch it because it was just, it was just hard to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Cloverfield Lane, and, and I, I might be mixing it up when I say 10 Cloverfield Lane, but anyway, Cloverfield Lane is a combination between a, a horror movie where uh, a woman is essentially kidnapped by like some weird guy who's probably got sexual intentions towards her, some sort of like a serial killer type. I saw, I saw the trailer for it. It's like John Goodman, right? Yeah, John Goodman. He's keeping her captive in his bomb shelter and he's telling her that there's all kinds of apocalyptic stuff going on outside of the bomb shelter and then this husband and wife show up and they're there for a little bit and then when the woman finally gets out, you find out that it's literally an alien apocalypse. So it was like, it was a combination of two really weird, different things, but it worked. And it was like, you know, the whole, the whole get down was like, is the real monster inside or outside? Is it better to be in or out? That kind of a thing. So it was, it was solid. And so that's what I'm saying. You know, I think even though it's kind of a weird combination that the Jordan went for, mm-hmm. it, it can work. Okay. It'd be really interesting. Yeah. adds layers to it. True. And uh, so Kang the Conqueror will be, I think they said he's going to be the main villain of Ant-Man 3 with Paul Rudd. Uh, and also, uh, is also kind of like a consequence of what happened in Avengers Endgame, if you folks have seen that movie, uh, involved a lot of time travel. And there's actually one great line that um, Tony Stark says that actually really encompasses the character of Kang. Uh, he says, to, I think he says to Captain America, we mess with time. Sometimes time messes back. Hmm. And that's pretty much the whole get down of Kang. Kang usually comes back either to uh, correct something that happened in the timeline or uh, more, more, more usually that, uh, but the way he does it is like, I want to conquer everything. So I'm the best person to lead this generation because of fact, y'all fucked up in the future. So, you know, I got to take over. That's basically his old get down. But uh, like I said, looking forward to that. I'm actually excited to see where that leads. Uh, another big thing in news, good times might be coming back as an animated series. <laughs> So this is actually just released uh, Monday. Apparently announced it on Netflix that uh, Norman Lear, the original producer of Good Times, is thinking about bringing it back uh, with uh, working with actually Seth MacFarlane. Hmm. 
So uh, basically, it'll be Seth MacFarlane's Fuzzy Door Productions, uh, and they're going to be uh, possibly producing a uh, Good Times television show. And it actually will be run. And I and when I saw this, I thought this is a really good choice. Uh, the dude that ran the Boondocks and Black Dynamite, Carl Jones. So he's going to be the creator, showrunner, and executive producer of the show. Uh, and so this cartoon is going to show the Evans family in modern times dealing with you know our current world and social issues. And apparently they've landed a straight to series deal, good for excuse me, a ten episode first season. So the fact that they bring him back, good times. Oh yeah, and apparently another partner in this uh, get down is going to be uh, Steph Curry. Apparently he has a media company too, uh, Anonymous Media. So he's going to be part of it too. Man, everybody's got five bucks has a company now. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I think yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Like I, a buddy of mine actually commented on it. Like I was kind of skeptical at first, but he said, you know, with the right creative team, it might work. I'm going to withhold judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally when it comes to Netflix, I'm like, yeah, it's going to be pretty good. But mm-hmm. without <laughs> without rehashing everything everyone already knows going on with Netflix, they might not even be there. Or at least not in the same form before very long. So. Yeah, we're actually going to be getting to that in just a second. Yeah. But I will say this. I am a fan of uh, Carl Jones' work, especially on the Boondocks. Oh, and, for sure. And the Black Dynamite animated series. Both of those were great. Well, so the, the thing that was kind of weird for me getting into it to start with, like, it's the, the it was the first time I really got into that style. That's that anime style, mm-hmm. you know, because because there, there was it was something that was almost kind of inaccessible for me because I was never really like a Dragon Ball Z anime kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Like when that came on, I usually flipped the channel. But I mean, both with Black Dynamite and Boondocks, he just he nailed it. Yes, he did. Uh, so uh, I say more luck to him, more power to him, man. Uh, next piece of news, which I think is so fucking weird. Uh, I. I <laughs> Uh, you, I know you're aware that uh, Carol Baskin from Tiger King is uh, currently one of the stars on uh, Dance with the Stars, right? No, I was not aware. Oh, of that. you were not? Okay, well, she's actually. I don't watch Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, but... neither do I. But she is currently one of the um, contestants on there. Did she kill her partner? Okay, I'm actually getting to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she actually debuted, I think, last night on Dancing with the Stars. But funny enough. Uh, since you talk about the whole killing thing, now, Carol Baskin, if you haven't watched the Tiger King thing, is accused of possibly killing her uh, first, uh, her ex-husband, Don Lewis. And one popular rumor that let's, was... Well, well, say, let's make sure we're clear. Yeah. The rumor the, and yeah. the joke in popular culture is that she killed her husband. Officially, mm-hmm. nobody was ever charged. But then again, he was also never found. Yeah, and the popular theory is that she fed him to a tiger, or or one. Well, and then I think the one uh, lawyer said, or had him pushed out of a plane somewhere over the the, the Gulf of Mexico. But the tiger thing is the one that keeps people keeps yeah. uh, popping up real quick. Uh, but because of that, the family of Don Lewis actually aired a commercial. They actually bought airtime on Dance with the Stars and aired a commercial. During Carol Baskin's debut, uh, basically asking for uh, justice for Don Lewis's uh, uh, Don Lewis's ex-wife and I think three of his daughters, and actually attorney for the family, and they're talking about uh, justice for Don Lewis. And uh, if anybody has any information, on the <laughs> if anybody has any information about it's the whereabouts, definitely more than a shot across the bow. If anybody has any information on the uh, whereabouts of Don Lewis or any information leading to the 
recovery of the body of Don Lewis. Uh, they actually left a telephone number for tips. Uh, yeah, and I said this, this is as blatant a ratings grab as I've ever seen on television. Because, in fact, they aired this right as she debuted. You know what I'm saying? And Twitter blew up, obviously, immediately. Even celebrities got into it. I think Lady Gaga, a bunch of other people were like, are you fucking serious? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but the, the, the flip side, the one thing you got to keep in mind is, like, it really, truly, for the family, it sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of become a, a national joke to a certain extent. If you never watched the series... Yeah. Look, I wasn't a huge fan, but I watched the whole thing, so at least I know what the hell's going on when everyone's talking about it. Right. Um... Yeah, I mean, at least from what the filmmakers put out, it doesn't look good. It de- definitely looks like, you know, there's there's some questions there as far as what happened to them. And the reality is, like, there's a family behind it and it sucks for them. And how blase Carol Baskin is about it. Oh, she's just like, oh, yeah, oh, no, well, you know what? I think he just decided to leave. Really? Like, for 20 years and, like, nobody's ever been able to find him? And you just cool with it? Yeah. And you, and you just having to be named the beneficiary of his shit just before you get... You, you know what? There's, I mean, just, there's a lot of... Again, watch yeah. it. I yeah. mean, <laughs> there were, there were on, like, the day he goes missing or, like, the day before he goes missing, mm-hmm. you know, the executor on his estate suddenly changes and his will changes and all kinds of... Yeah. Questionable things. It's both hilarious. I think the right yeah. word is interesting. It's hilarious and extraordinarily tacky at the same time. Yeah. So. And and again, horrible for the family because when you see this woman, you're just gonna be like, seriously? Yeah. Exactly. Really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Hulu actually uh, released a official sneak peek at the reboot of Animaniacs. Uh, basically, just shows on anim. Uh, animatics of uh, possible uh, jokes and stuff they're going to be doing on the show. Nice. And also showed the original cast is back. Uh, they got the original people to do Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. The only confirmed characters for the reboot are Yakko, Wacko, and Dot and Pinky, and, the, and Pinky and the Brain. That's it. I don't know if any of the other characters come back. Like We, we talked about this before. We've had a whole episode on Animaniacs. And I really hope they bring back Slappy Squirrel. That's my, that was my <laughs> Slappy the Squirrel. Be Slappy there. Squirrel. Good fellas. Yeah. The rest of them, whatever. You can, bring, you can bring back Pinky and the Brain. Yeah, they are bringing back Pinky and the Brain, but like that's that's the one that's the one big hit of the uh, ancillary characters that they are bringing back. For, but I would really bring back Elmira. I, they they didn't really specify that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but uh, still, like only the five characters confirmed. But it's still great to see the original voice cat- actors are back. And I didn't realize that uh, the dude that does Yakko is also the dude that uh, is the voice of Pinky. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, Rob, so he's already back. So yeah, yeah, go. Rob Paulson. So he's doing both. So, yeah, great stuff, man. I'm really... Oh, I should remember that. We talked about it when we did our Animaniacs Deep Dive. Yeah. It just hit me. Exactly. And so uh, Animaniacs itself will be debuting in November on Hulu. Nice. So it's pretty close around the corner. Uh, speaking of around that same time frame, they just released the teaser trailer for season two of The Mandalorian on uh, Disney+. And, of course, nothing that Twitter's blowing up about right now. Um... Of course, they're going to be continuing the storyline that was established in the first season with the Mandalorian himself and, of course, Baby Yoda. They call it officially the child, but everybody calls it Baby Yoda. Yeah. It's Baby Yoda. Uh, and then, basically, uh, the uh, Mandalorian's quest to re- reunite Baby Yoda with his people, in this case, the Jedi. So, he's going to basically be going throughout the galaxy trying to find the Jedi. And, uh, like I said, well, I actually mentioned this uh, a little while back that... Uh, I know Rosario Dawson and, since we talked about her earlier, Rosario Dawson and uh, WWE superstar Sasha Banks are both in the second season of The Mandalorian. I think hmm. they're both, I think, uh, I forgot the exact character that Rosario's playing, but she's like one of, I think they're both playing Jedis. 
Okay, so I think it'd be interesting to see you know two sexy ass women playing Jedi. Did they? Uh, did they actually? Again, maybe I'm just late to it, but did they actually say where in the timeline this is? This is the Mandalorian's happening. It's between. Uh, it's the. It's right after the end of the first uh, series of movies and right before this last series in, of in movies. between three and four. Or between in, in, in between, like a. You know, like uh, four, five, six. Or in between six it, and then it, seven? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, no good. it's after four, five, six, and then it's uh, before seven, eight, nine. Okay, so so in between, right in between. Return of the Jedi and... And uh, the Force Awakens. Yeah, right in between there. So that's where the Mandalorian's time frame okay. is. I'm looking forward to it, man. I love the first season. I'm looking forward to the second season. That one comes out in October 30th. Again, not that far, not that far from right from the corner. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I think the last thing I got here, since we talked about it earlier, Netflix. Uh, Netflix is uh, receiving some serious backlash right now from the movie that they just put out, Cuties. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's basically like a like girl, like a girl. I haven't seen it yet, but for the gist of it, it's like a girls' dance troupe, and it has like adolescent girls uh, dancing and dressed in provocative ways, way for. Way, uh, way I mean, too the, adult for their age. The, the the two things that I've heard that probably put them in in the the worst position is there's supposed to be some scenes with these prepubescent girls uh, in risque clothing, dancing in very sexually suggestive ways in front of older men, um, and then the one that I when I heard about it, I was going, wow, this is probably the hill they're gonna they're gonna end up dying on. Um, there's supposed to be a scene where I think it's the lead who's supposed to be 11 years old. Uh, is taking pictures um, of herself in either a partially nude or full nude way and then posting them online, mm-hmm. um, which I just don't know how you get around that, legally speaking. So the the biggest development in it is that apparently at least several congressmen uh, have reached out to the Department of Justice and asked them to open an inquiry into whether or not Netflix has been engaging in um, the prolifer- proliferation and distribution of child pornography, I believe is what they, what they said on it. So, um, yeah, I mean, Netflix, you know, what they're saying, what the filmmakers saying, they keep coming back and trying to claim that, um, you know, this is meant to be a critique and it's, a, uh, it's meant to show, hey, we shouldn't do this and that this is bad. But what you kind of miss when you look at this thing, or at least what the question everyone keeps asking when they look at this thing is, well... Okay, can't we say that without showing it? Um, because I mean, the initial backlash came from the uh, the poster they were using on the one sheet they were using to promote it, which apparently was pretty graphic to some people's um, yeah, sensibilities. It, yeah, I, I've, I've seen the posters like little girls in, yeah. in various sexually suggestive poses. Yeah, well, and, and again, and apparently that mistake quote-unquote that they had putting that out was actually just a lifted screen grab from the actual show itself so there's there's a lot in there where at a minimum you know whichever way it ends up going i don't think anyone can argue whoever's in charge of marketing over there um should be getting their ass chewed because they they obviously didn't do a good job prepping and explaining to people what was going on and again having not seen it myself that's why i'm gonna kind of couch it between the two so at a minimum somebody over there really screwed up communicating caused a huge problem at a maximum and I've heard from a variety of different people that generally can be all over the all over the place politically speaking I mean even some people that ref, kind of refer to themselves as being super far left and super artistic and everything else mm-hmm. they're disgusted with it so the question is where does this come down I guess we're gonna all have to kind of wait to see but in the meantime their stock price has, has been hit pretty hard and mm-hmm. for some reason they're doubling down they haven't 
tried to do anything to try to correct it. Um, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. If I if I was Reed Hastings, I'd go in and fire somebody at a at a director or a VP level. Mm-hmm. I would apologize and say, "Hey, this is gross or whatever, and we're sorry. You know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna do what we can to fix the situation." But yeah, I just I don't know at this point. It's looking pretty bad for them. Yeah, like uh, AJ just mentioned, their stock is going down tremendously, and a lot of people are canceling their, their subscriptions to Netflix. As a result of it. So, yeah, a lot of people have seen it. A lot of people do not like it. So, I, yeah, I just don't think it's worth the, the hassle. Especially right now when, um, you know, uh, these streaming services are kind of like the backbone of most people's entertainment. So, to put something out there that, you know, could really turn away a lot of people, turn away a lot of revenue is not really a smart move. And, and not to do anything in, in, in about it so far in terms of, like, you know, damage control. Um, I, I don't know. It's not a very smart move. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, people have survived all kinds of things here. I, I don't see how somebody doesn't end up getting fired over this at a minimum. Um, I mean, I'd be surprised if anyone ended up with jail time. It'd probably end up as a corporation getting getting charged financially. The, the big piece that I think is really going to end up hurting them is, um, from what I understand, the filmmakers got on record as saying, that they had 650 other kids that auditioned for this part mm. before they got to number 651, who's the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and just knowing all the other stories and all the other bad stuff that's out there for child actors in the industry, um, you know, questions are already being asked. Well, what did those auditions look like? Do you still have the tape? What did you do with the tape? All that kind of stuff. Because this is, um, if if you're if you're a pedophile at all this is you know christmas come early in a lot of ways <laughs> no, this is, this because so, i mean it's yeah. it's not, you know they're trying to couch it as oh no this is mainstream this is fine this isn't a problem you know it's it's uh it's a slightly more elevated disney channel or that kind of a thing but from everything I'm it's like it's here, like I mean, dance moms that's what it is yeah uh, that's kind of what they're trying they're trying like, to portray no, it no, this doesn't no, it's a whole nother level dance so. dance moms is gross in its own right but like this is a whole nother yeah. get down right here buddy so anyway, uh, short short the stock if you can. <laughs> shit, for real. I mean, if I if I at least saw somebody coming around, and be like, hey, you know what? We're going to address this, and we want to make sure we address everyone's concerns. I, did you did you ever see the very first response when somebody brought it up to him? Mm-mm. Very first response, somebody sent him something on the deal and said, hey, <laughs> this is gross. What are you guys doing? There's this back and forth you can watch on the Twitter mm-hmm. feed, and um, the person who was talking to whoever was running the Twitter feed said something along the lines of. Um, you know, do do you guys support pedophilia? And the reply was, "We don't take a position on anything." Like that was basically what it was. We don't no, we don't no, we don't take a position no, on any sexual no, orientation, no, religion, creed. No, no, come on, I was like, no, no. When I bro. saw that, I was like, "Okay, no, bro, come on. you're you're at least getting retrained, <laughs> if not fired." <laughs> I mean, that's why I'm saying like this whole thing has been so horribly mismanaged. Um, first of all, even if this wasn't this horrible thing that it's being portrayed to be, I pro- mm. I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't watch it because I'm just not interested. Agreed. But now with the way this whole thing is being put out there, I think they're like I said, they're at a position where they've got to make they've got to make what's at least seen as some serious decisions. They're going to be in some serious trouble. Yeah. So just a bit gross. Yeah. And shame on you, Netflix, until you f- find a way to fix this. Yeah. So seriously. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So that has been dropping that news for this week. I actually feel kind of dirty after all that talk. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, it is. It's gross. It is gross. All right, folks, let's get to the meat and potatoes of this. Um, um, 
Superman the movie from 1978. And while we're uh, watching this movie, you're going to be watching along with us. We're going to be giving you some facts and factoids about the creation of this movie and about the actors and about, you know, certain scenes, certain effects, you know, things that, you know, kind of come to mind as we're watching this stuff. Now, as I'm, um, as we go ahead and get this set up, uh, we'll let you know when to go ahead and start the movie. But as we uh, starting this up here, I want to first of all, let everybody know that the idea for the Superman movie itself was first initialized in 1973 by one of the producers, Ilya Salkine. Uh, him and his father, Alexander Salkine, were big producers in Europe. Uh, particularly, I think their biggest thing before these movies was they did like a series of Three Musketeers movies. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was them and another partner they had named Pierre Spangler. So, basically, in 1974, they actually got the uh, film rights for Superman uh, from DC Comics. And they felt uh, the best... They actually wanted to do like kind of like a sort of a pickup deal. They wanted to do like two movies back-to-back. So, they wanted to do... Because they did the same thing with, with the Three Musketeers thing. They right. want to do Superman and Superman 2 back-to-back and then get a negative pickup from Warner Brothers. Uh, now, as far as the screenplay goes, they went through a lot of different writers. Uh, but we should, we should probably explain what a negative pickup is. All right. Well, if you want to go ahead and get into so, it. Like. So the, the idea is basically the, the producer uh, or the production company that's making the film is has basically preset a deal with, we're going to deliver the final product all the additional footage, everything, to you at the studio, at which point in time the studio will then pay them the money. Yeah. So a negative pickup basically just allows the studio to offset the cost of production, which also very helpfully means that if something goes wrong, not my problem. Sure. Show up when you got it done. There you go. So that's a negative pickup for you uh, young kids out there. So uh, let's go ahead and get into this thing, man. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start this right, so you can watch it with us. And three, two, one, play. Ooh, that old Warner Brothers shield. Yeah, so we are actually watching the uh, original theatrical cut. Uh, we tried to get the special edition, but there were some issues with that. Uh, and now uh, we've got a little uh, factoid here. Uh, picture Dedicating the picture to the late Jeffrey Unsworth, who was the uh, director of photography for this movie. Yep. Yeah, so, and he did a fantastic job. And now we're into this beautiful pre, uh, little, little, little pre-segment here preface here. Uh, June 1938 with a action comics not the actual cover of action comics number one but just a doctor right. version and I had the little kid narration in the decade of 1930 even the great city metropolis was not spared the ravages of the world depression or whatever the fuck well but the thing I yeah. like about this so yeah. it's in a 4-3 aspect ratio with yeah. the curtains on either side so it's just like I mean yeah. seriously like going to the talkies back in the day right like yeah. they'd say the, yeah. the original movies yeah the, t- uh, the task of informing the people was the responsibility of the daily planet a great metropolitan newspaper whose mm-hmm. reputation for clarity and truth may become a symbol of hope for the city of Metropolis and we get this great look actually apparently Don Dick Donner still has that in Does his he? office yeah he said I wouldn't be surprised yeah and now we're going past the moon the black and white, which is really cool, and now I'm gonna get into our uh, credits here. <laughs> I love the effect coming at you, bro. And then now the the beginning of the, the John Williams march, Denton, Marlon Brando. Get into more of him later. I mean, at the time, this yeah. was cutting edge visual effects. And Gene Hackman, <clears throat> also getting more into him later. Oh yeah, but yeah, it's starting to build up now. A Richard uh, a Donner, Donner film. film. That dude's actually really cool. I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to meet him twice. And now we got really the guy. Look, look, so fucking cool. Now we get the real... 
I actually saw the behind the scenes. Apparently, that was a Richard Donner thought the key to a great Superman theme, and I agree with this because they've done it several times. Is that that three note motif where the music actually says Superman? Yeah, Superman, and then you go to the old Fleischer cartoons, and it's like a. Superman, 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 Superman. And then uh, yeah. go to the other one, uh, Lois and Clark. Uh, Superman, Superman. Well, no, and that's the thing, too, yeah. when you're doing, if you can make it work when you're doing a yeah. score, there's no words anyway. So what you want is you want yeah. the, the audience yeah. to take, if you can, the name of the movie and just plop yeah. it in there. Superman, yeah. Superman. Yeah. And then another Superman. one. Uh, yeah, another yeah, and another one uh, that did a great one, uh, Superman animated series done by the uh, DCEU. Oh yeah, Superman, Superman, Superman. Oh yeah, look at all these uh, great stars from yesteryear. <laughs> uh, some of them still around, like Terrence Stamp, whose name just came up, uh, Phyllis Thaster, who is no longer with us, actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just so many great people here. Uh, like, oh, look at all these names, man. Susanna York, <laughs> who also starred in Roger, the Roger Moore movie. I think they did a movie called Gold together. I thought it was called Martin Clore and Jeff East. Yeah. Oh, man. So I'll get into some more factors as we watch this great title well, sequence, man. Well, and one thing about the title sequence that's worth pointing out. So yeah. we're going to talk about this a little more. So Tom Mankiewicz, even though he, and we'll get into kind of how he got screwed on credit for this, but. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who wrote it. Mm-hmm. Ask Dick Donner. He'll tell you, yeah, Tom wrote this. We were partners on it, the whole thing. Yes. He um, he always told us when we were sitting down, because, I, again, I was fortunate enough to have him as a, as a professor for a while when I was in film school. He said the opening credits, what it's for is that's where you're setting the table, right? Mm-hmm. So we had that little brief opener, Action Comics, Daily Planet. We then flew by the moon. So if you watch this entire opening yeah. sequence. Also, uh, real quick, we'll, we'll stop you there. This is the first time they actually ever credited Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster as the creators of Superman. Yeah. All the other previous uh, projects of Superman before that is a Superman, a character of uh, DC Comics or uh, national publications. They never actually said Siegel and Shuster before yeah. this. Well, so anyway, what, what he always was saying about this right here specifically was mm-hmm. you want to, um, yeah, neither one, none of these guys actually wrote yeah, Mario didn't we, write it. Yeah, Mario Leeson didn't write it. Robert yeah, didn't write yeah, yeah. it. But anyway, the whole point, what he was saying here for these opening sequences, creative, creative consultant, to Tom Mankiewicz. that's the writer, Tom yeah. Mankiewicz. Anyway, this opening sequence, the whole point to it is you're setting the table. Mm-hmm. So what's so great about this is we're literally going from Earth, flying to Krypton. That's the whole opening sequence. While they're throwing everybody's names up there for the opening title sequence, mm-hmm. it's the flight to Krypton. Yes, right. Which is fantastic because by the time we actually hit scene one, mm-hmm. the audience is prepped. We know we left Earth. That's right. Directed by Richard Donner. Mm-hmm. And I, it's crazy that they didn't, real, they didn't realize, they were making a good movie, but they didn't realize well, they, this, were, they were creating a genre. Well, yeah, I was going to say, this is the first real major Hollywood comic book movie. Yes, the very I mean, first they, one. They've done like little Batman, little stuff like that, but nothing where they put a budget into it and got big time actors or treated it seriously. Yeah. So yeah, this is the first of its kind, man. And look at the, look at this great little thing of the, the mm-hmm. red sun of Krypton. We didn't even go past that. We actually go to yep. Krypton itself. One thing I always loved about this movie is basically three different movies mm-hmm. rolling into one. It's uh in, yep. in, in different sections. Yep. First move, first part of the movie, which we're, we're right now, Krypton. Second part of the movie, when uh, the baby lands on Earth, Smallville. 
And then the third part, when he actually gets his powers and starts to fly, Metropolis. Metropolis, yeah. Mm -hmm. Three different movies. And I love this this great miniature of like the crystal city of... uh, Well, the the crystalline world of uh, Krypton, man. Mm -hmm. And and this actually motif of uh, crystals and Krypton has been copied in most of the other Superman adaptations after this movie. Nope. I know Smallville... Uh, copied it almost verbatim, uh, and I know recently Supergirl has on uh, the CW, so they have the, they have a Fortress of Solitude on the stuff, and it looks almost exactly the same as this set design here, man. Now we get into our first scene, Krypton. Just one of the things I always yeah. kind of yeah. So anyone who was fortunate enough to know Tom, yeah, he could talk and talk and talk. I mean, he was a great guy. He had tons of stories and everything, but the only time mm-hmm. I've ever seen him speechless. Dick Donner and him were doing a Q and A thing, mm-hmm. and Dick Donner made some joke referencing getting screwed out of credit. Yeah, Tom went mute because <laughs> you knew he was talking about all this and the horrible thing that happened here to him. Yeah. It just cracked me up to no end because again, he was like, "Just go, 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 go." Yeah, something about credit, and Tom just like, like immediately back to being pissed. Yeah. So now we're watching actually the first little scene with uh, Marlon Brando as Jor-El. Yeah. Uh, actually, one of the first actors considered for Jor-El was actually Charlton Heston, uh, which would have been a different movie. Very much. Uh, so, apparently, in early 75, they uh, signed on Marlon Brando with a salary of $3.7 million and 11.75% uh, of the uh, gross box office, totaling $19 million. Um, apparently, Marlon Brando scared the shit out of the producers when they first met him because of the fact he proposed, like... Uh, doing Jor-El as a green suitcase <laughs> or a bagel and him just doing the voiceover and apparently Dick Donner himself so we talk about Dick Donner used flattery just like you know what you should do this you're Marlon Brando you know that kind of <laughs> come on you could do this and he also hoped that he could uh, use some of his salary to propose a uh, 13 part roots like miniseries about Native Americans in the United States hmm. uh, so Marlon Brando actually had it in his contract that he had to do all of his scenes in 12 days and also, he refused to, you know, uh, remember his dialogue. So right now, he's doing this great scene. As usual, he's reading cue cards that are hidden off to the side. Exactly. And it's it, it, like you can't tell, like, because it, it, it comes across so natural. But that's the way he always was. Yeah. I mean, you watch, you watch on the waterfront or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same stuff. That's just the way he worked. Yeah. I love this scene right here. Where, uh, he's confronting General Zod, played by Terrence Stamp, another fantastic actor. The vote must be unanimous, Jorel. It has therefore become your decision. There you, was, alone, you alone can condemn us if you wish. And you alone will be held responsible by me. I can't remember what it was. There was there was another actor, big time actor at the time. I want to say... I'm not even going to say because I'm going to get it wrong. But I, I, remember, I remember Tom was telling us they were pitching some of the different actors they were trying to bring in on it. And they mm-hmm. told him, hey, we got Marlon Brando for this. Mm-hmm. And just to have an idea of how low in esteem comic book movies were held at the time mm-hmm. he said well hey we got Marlon Brando and whoever it was said well, that sounds like Marlon Brando's problem <laughs> like, I'm not doing that super what are you kidding me Yeah, something like that yeah. okay. and then of course they get Gene Hackman they get Chris Reese and they go on to make one of the best films mm-hmm. ever for comic books and definitely one of the best movies of the 1970s oh 100% so, so uh, yeah uh, whoever said that screwed up yeah uh, and also funny little note uh, you know who uh, Marlon Brando's production assistant was for this movie? Mm-mm. Carrie Elwes. Seriously? He worked at Pilot Studios as a <laughs> PA, and Marlon and Marlon Brando 
<laughs> yeah, he was assigned Marlon Brando. And apparently he refused to actually call Carrie by his real name. He just kept calling him Rocky. <laughs> that sounds about right. For that sounds exactly Marlon. right. That sounds exactly right. I love this sequence here where they actually do the whole... It's kind of overkill when you think about it, but like... This whole thing where they open up the dome for the uh, Phantom Zone projector, which is actually, they never really name it. And a lot of people were confused by this scene, but that's where they send them to the Phantom Zone, which is a thing in the DC comics where they send all the criminals of Krypton who, uh, you know, fuck up and do some, commit some awful crime and they're sent to the Phantom Zone for all of eternity. Basically, they become the living dead yeah. in the Phantom Zone. And you see, you know, the which three. is like that weird plate thing, right? Yeah, the, 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 the pane of glass. Yeah, that's the that, that's the Phantom Zone projection thing, I guess. Uh, and we got the three villains here, you know, uh, Zod, Ursa, and Nan, <laughs> played by Terrence Stamp, Sarah Douglas, and uh, Jack O'Halloran. Uh, Sarah Douglas actually is on Twitter. Oh, she's on Instagram a lot. I think recently. Oh, really? I think uh, her mother just passed away, but she's like very active on Instagram. So check out Sarah Douglas's Instagram if you get a chance. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and, uh, and what we're not knowing here is this is actually setting up Superman two. Yeah, yeah. We just like see these three, these three people. Well, but I mean that's the whole point. They were thinking ahead. Yeah, I love this scene here. We're like <laughs> it's suicide. No, it's worse. It's genocide. And he's uh, Jor-El is here in front of the Council of Scientists. Uh, and apparently, another shout-out to your boy Tom, the whole thing with the crests on the chest, Yep, that is Tom Mankiewicz's idea. Oh, yeah. And it looks great. And then I love the uh, suits with the uh, glowing effect, too. Apparently, it looks like a bunch of like glass bubbles hmm. on these uh, suits that made them gave it the glowing effect. You put a light underneath it, and it made them glow. Like, without it, it's just dull gray. Uh, and I love, the, I love the fact that, like... Uh, it actually, this scene actually shows a lot of professionalism among actors because the head of the council, Trevor Howard, mm-hmm. hated Marlon Brando because apparently they had done um, a remake of Mutiny on the Bounty together. Oh, okay. And they did not get along. But this guy here, the other guy, was like, Jorel, be reasonable. <laughs> uh, a- actor named Harry Andrews, who's actually uh, in real life one of Marlon Brando's friends. He kind of like, he kind of like, was, he was kind of here as the buffer hmm. between the two. So, and that not only in the scene, but also in real, in real life. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's always easier to act if it's reality. Yeah. <laughs> and this scene is constantly being replayed over and over again in different variations, hey. cartoon and live action. Hey, you know that guy I hate? Can we have him play the guy that I'm supposed to hate? <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> and all the scientists turning against Jorel, even though Jorel is ultimately right. Yeah. I love this little thing. They're like, uh, uh, the idea of uh, if you don't respect uh, the rumors of uh, whatever through the populace we will deem as an act of insurrection you would accuse me of insurrection I said now become a crime to cherish life <laughs> and I do love this wording here when he told me like uh, I'll remain silent neither I nor my wife will leave this planet <laughs> he didn't say shit about his son, son. Yeah. <laughs> I love it great writing very simple too, but oh, yeah, yeah. but so effective. Yeah. Well, and see, and that's the thing too. I mean, like, because one of the one of the cool things about about Tom and how he was working with people, mm-hmm. he always pushed this idea that you know filmmaking is a collaborative effort. Yeah, right. I mean, it doesn't matter what your position is, writer, director, producer, PA, mm-hmm. everybody who's involved. It takes a huge, huge team to make a film, and ultimately, more often than not, there were things where. 
he would have a suggestion that, like you were talking about with the whole crest thing, that would end up helping the wardrobe guys move in a different direction that made something better. Or someone, as famously we talked about the line in, uh, in the Bond film, where they told him, you know, Sherry doesn't actually have a date, and that becomes a line that James Bond repeats back, that whole thing. That collaborative ideology kind of behind it just pushes it into the next level. Yeah. Makes it fantastic. And we got Susanna York here with the baby Kal-El, who was actually played by a girl, Elizabeth Sweet- Sweetman. Uh, and she was six months old when she did this. Uh, she <laughs> she earned forty pounds a day for four days' work. <laughs> what, what, what has she done since then? Uh, I, don't, I don't think anything really. She peaked at six months. Apparently, <laughs> now uh, the vast majority of the uh, Fortress of Solitude and Krypton sets were at both Shepperton Studios and on the Pinewood 007 stage. Hmm. So I think the I think the uh, the real big Fortress of Solitude that we see later in the movie yeah. is primarily on uh, uh, the Power Power Seven stage. This yeah. is I think Shepperton. Um, and since we talked about your boy here, since we are watching the scene where uh, Joel and Laura are about to put the baby into the rocket, we talk about your boy real quick, Tom Mankiewicz. Now, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Mario Puzo was first hired to do the screenplay of this movie. Uh, he got like a six hundred thousand dollars salary. And then on top of that, uh, his script uh, apparently was uh, campier. At one point, he actually featured a cameo by Telus Avalos' Kojak. <laughs> and he, and apparently, he's going to look to the camera and do the, oh, no, he's going to look at Superman. Like, who loves your baby? Some shit like that. And apparently, the, the script itself also featured another Krypton villain, Jack Soar, which was never, as, other than um, the comic books, he was done in the uh, animated series, Superman the Animated Series, but that's the only time I've ever seen him. Hmm. And uh, also, it had uh, Superman or Clark Kent specifically as a TV writer because that was what, uh, what that was uh, indicative of the comics at the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Clark Kent was actually a newspaper report, was actually a TV reporter as opposed to a newspaper reporter in the seventies. And also, they brought in the Newmans, who had wrote the Three Musketeers movies with the Saul Kinds. And uh, yeah, same thing. Camped it up. Didn't get where it needed to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And apparently, they wrote the. They actually wrote. Uh, the novelization of the 1966 Broadway musical "It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman." <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, uh, but yeah, of course they uh, going back to Tom Mankiewicz himself uh, because of the fact they brought on Dick Donner. It was like, nah, I'm just he was dissatisfied with the campy script, so Brian Tom. These are actually uh, a quote from Tom Mankiewicz: "Not a word of the Puzo script was used." <laughs> it was a well-written but still ridiculous script. It was 550 pages, and I said, "You can't shoot this as a screenplay because you'd be shooting this for five years." <laughs> Seriously, yeah. this is literally a shooting script, and they planned to shoot all 550 pages. I said, "You know, 110 pages is plenty for a script, and even for two features." But that, but it, so, but even for two features, this is way too much. Yeah. So uh, Tom Wakeley, of course, did the rewrite. And the Writers Guild of America refused to credit Mr. Mankiewicz for his rewrites, so Dave Downer gave him the creative consultant credit that we but, see. And then the note for that is, at the time, there was a, a deal, if I remember, I'd been struck with the Producers Guilds. Mm-hmm. Or actually, I don't think it was the Guild technically. I think it was just the producers, like Warner Brothers, all the big, mm-hmm. uh, big production houses. Yeah. You don't want to put out something that has eight writers on it because the idea is people probably won't want to see it because they'll be like, wow, if it took eight writers, then it's got to be craft. Like, famously, you could talk about what was it, uh, L.A. Confidential. I can't remember yeah. how many writers they had, but it was in development hell for like a decade. Yeah. Like, it just goes on and on and on. So, he got screwed the first time on mm-hmm. this one via 
all the fun with the Writers Guild, and he mm-hmm. got screwed the second time, if I remember right, and I think it was actually the producer screwed him with Superman too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, while we were talking, uh, Marlon Brando did the whole scene where he's like, uh, you'll make your strength your own. See my life through your eyes. Your mm-hmm. life will be seen through mine. The son becomes the father, and the father the son. They have used those words again and again in different other uh, interpretations of Superman. Yeah. Again, on Smallville. They actually used it on an episode that had Christopher Reeve on it. Uh, Smallville, which I thought yeah. was really good, good touch, and uh, the whole the whole time he was talking, he was basically reading off the baby's diaper. <laughs> so Marlon Brando was reading his lines off the baby's uh, <laughs> little notes. I think they actually I mean, have. Was, I, think, I think they actually have a picture or some. They kept this shit where they had to actually have the diaper with the notes on it. Well, I was going to ask: did, Are you aware of? Because I'm not aware of a time where Marlon ever went in with his lines memorized. I don't think so. I'm I'm pretty sure that was one of the things that was most famous is that he mm-hmm. never ever ever memorized his lines. He always mm-hmm. cue cards hidden around. So, and it was weird because it worked really well for him and his acting style. And that yeah. he'd hit the end of whatever they could fit on this cue card. Mm-hmm. And maybe I don't know. Maybe there was times where he had an idea for a break, and then he'd be searching for the next cue card. Mm-hmm. And in that, he'd be emoting. Yes. And then he'd go to the next line. Here's the next chunk of dialogue. Yeah. Which, it, I mean, it's it's got to be weird to work with. Yeah. I can't imagine doing that, but it worked for him. Yeah. Uh, the second baby, the one that's actually in, they actually put into the ship here, yeah. his name uh, Lee Quigley. He actually passed away in 1991 oh. at the age of 14. That sucks. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like, still, his memory lives on in this movie, man. Yeah. And now we see the rocket breaking through the fucking glass ceiling. Yeah. Almost kind of metaphorical there. With the fucking blast of the Superman thing by John Williams, yeah. uh, it's so it's such a well shot scene right here. Like like even though like some of the seventies special effects don't really hold, but this really does. Yeah, this really holds up well. And then the whole the close up into Jor-El and Laura as they planted is destroyed. It's pretty. I won't say it's graphic, but it's pretty kind of it's kind of funny because you see the bodies falling. Oh yeah, it's sad. It's very sad. And then like. I didn't realize, like, in real life that I would see something similar to that. But if you were of my age, you remember 9-11, yeah. they, would show, they actually showed people falling out of buildings and shit. And it's like, wow, it's kind of eerie to watch it now. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and you see the rocket rocketing away from uh, Krypton as the people, they were warned. Yeah, but they didn't listen. They got arrogant and said, you know what, we'll be fine. You know, nothing's going to destroy us. Well. The frustrating thing, the frustrating thing for me is that, you know, you're in that situation again where you're being forced into group think, right? Because obviously Brando, his character, he knows for a fact this is going to be a problem. He's trying to get him convinced and it's literally, well, either you're with us or you're now a criminal and we're going to send you off into, into space in a plane of glass. Yeah, so it didn't work out for Krypton at all. No, not even. Now, as that. we're watching the uh, destruction of Krypton, which is a fantastic sequence here, yeah. uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about the director, Dick lots Donner. Of yeah, lots of glitter. <laughs> yeah, lots of glitter and lots of people falling. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to go ahead and talk about the director, Dick Donner. Uh, apparently, the other people considered to be the director of this movie Francis Ford Coppola, William Friedkin, uh, Richard Lester, Peter Yates, uh, and Sam Peckinpah. Were, uh, okay, <laughs> either Peckinpah. Yeah. Or Coppola would have been a wild departure from what we got. Exactly. Like, insanely wild. And apparently, during the meeting uh, between Ilya Salkine and Sam Peckinpah, he actually pulled out a gun. Peckinpah did? Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) And George Lucas was actually offered a chance to direct uh, Superman, but he couldn't because he was doing Star Wars. Which, by the way, did you ever ever watch... um, Oh, shit, what was that one? The um, Straw Dogs. Did you ever watch Straw Dogs? 
I know of it. Like mm-hmm. a pop film? Yeah. Don't watch the remake, the 2007 remake. That's, yeah, that's that's the one I'm uh, no, familiar with. Don't even waste your time. I, I'm mad that they still listed as like being written by Peckinpah. Mm-hmm. I was, I personally, no, I think it was garbage. It, it took the heart and soul of what was in the original out of it. Yeah. That film. The only thing that doesn't hold up in that film very well mm-hmm. is the, the score's not great. Yeah. But otherwise, one of the best films I've ever seen. Yeah. And now, uh, while we're talking, uh, they're doing the whole thing where uh, the rocket is going through space while baby Kal-El is being instructed by Jor-El in the rocket ship itself. And he's going through all these different nebulas and different things of space. Of course, done, all done with practical effects. And as he's doing yeah. it, he's getting older and older. Apparently, this whole journey is supposed to take like three years. Yeah, and I mean, even that, at the speed of light, I mean, you're still going way faster than that to get to the nearest star system to us. Exactly. Now, back to the directing thing. Uh, Ilya Salkhan actually wanted to hire Steven Spielberg, but Alexander was skeptical because he, he he thought it would be best to wait until uh, Spielberg's Big Fish movie opens. Yeah. <laughs> and that Big Fish movie was Jaws. And Jaws, of course, was highly successful, of course, creating the summer blockbuster. And, yep. and at, at that point, it was the highest grossing film of all time. So they kind of came to him and like, hey, you, uh, you, you, your fish movie did good. Like, you want to direct that movie? No, nah, I'm sorry. I'm already doing uh, Close Encounters in the Third Kind. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, moving on. So, <laughs> But I think of, if any other director besides Richard Donner could do this movie, I think Steven Spielberg would have done a Spielberg great job. would have done a good job. Oh, God. It would be great. Well, look, again, Peckinpah or Coppola would have done a good job, but mm-hmm. it would have been weird mm-hmm. compared to what we got. Now, baby Kal-El arrives on Earth with uh, to Smallville. Yeah, to uh, Jonathan and Martha Kent, played by Glenn Ford and Phyllis Thaxter. Boom! <laughs> I love this shot here, man. This, it, 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 yeah, God, I, I'm, I'm gonna comment a lot about this a lot throughout this whole movie, but this is such a damn good movie. Oh yeah, man. But yeah, Glenn Ford, man, these two great veteran actors, man, playing Mom and Paul Kent. Well, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to this a little bit later, the exact reason why, but Tom went on and on about how great Glenn was to work with and, and about how important it is to trust your actors because they know, especially if they've been around for a minute, they know so much about their craft and yours. Because, um, mm-hmm. I mean, Tom was still a relatively young man when they were working on this. Yeah. And there's some stuff we'll get to here in a second that's pretty fun, but yeah. killer, killer actors. You mean besides uh, kal baby penis? <laughs> I don't know why they left this <laughs> we have, It's because it was prior to Netflix Yeah, way prior to Netflix But yeah, we have little Kal-El And his baby penis is out <laughs> and Hey, here I am Hi Hi <laughs> Yeah with the with the blankets with the uh, cover fam- your giblets yeah yeah <laughs> he, he has the blankets with the familiar Superman colors red blue and yellow. And, you know, now you get a little backstory on the Kents here where, you know, she's, she's talking about, you know, how years she's been praying that he actually would get a kid. And now they got one and that they, fell out of the sky. Literally fell out of the sky. And they, and I love that he's like, well, we got to find out who that boy's proper family is. <laughs> well, he ain't got none. Not right here. Anyway, she, she is desperate for a child. Like, no, we're keeping him. Yeah, she's desperate for a child, man. <laughs> Not right here anyway. Martha, are you thinking what I think you're thinking? We can say he's a child of our cousin, North Dakota, and just not orphan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love, I'm always like, Martha, now you know, you saw how we found him. And I, and then the, the great little line, Martha Clark Kent, are you listening to what I'm saying? Wait, that's actually, they've used that several times since. They did it on the animated series too, where they made Martha's maiden name Clark and therefore the name of the baby. That makes sense. Yeah. 
Martha Clark King. <laughs> and then the fucking uh, breaks, the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the jack, jack slips. But the baby lifts the fucking truck. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> I love how just, they kind of stop and they look at the... Where did this one... Where, <laughs> where did he come from? <laughs> what did we just get? Well, yeah, well, you got him now. He's all y'all now. <laughs> <laughs> and they've done different variations of this. Like, where, like, what would happen if Superman had landed someplace else other than Smallville? Smallville. Yeah, what if he was raised by people other than the Kents? You know, like, who, you know... You know, middle class America, you know, morals, you know, the American way that get down. Yeah. They've done variations of that. There's a comic book where it was like, what if uh, he was found by the Luthors? They did yeah. that on Smallville, actually. What if uh, Clark was found by the Luthors instead of the Kents? And also they did a whole movie and comic book series on that. What if uh, Superman landed in Soviet Russia? Yeah. Called, yeah, called Superman Red Sun. Yeah, what if he landed in Soviet Russia as opposed to America? And we got... Uh, Clark Kent played by Jeff East here, whose whole voice, whose whole performance here was dubbed over by Christopher Reeve. <laughs> and he didn't find out until they actually watched the movie. Like, that's, well, they, that's not something they usually give you a phone call. Hey, by the way, just so you know. Yeah. Except for, I think, I think in Star Wars. Well, that's, that's, they let him know hey, James Earl Jones is going to yeah. be playing. Yeah, and you see Clark and Lana here, and then the guy here, Brad, will actually return in Superman 3. What was he in 3? He was uh, the uh, the one boyfriend that kept messing with Lana the whole like movie or whatever. I was king of the prom and all that shit or whatever. I was a football star and now he's like a loser. <laughs> and then Clark, you telling me yeah. the kid that kicked over the bench and made a mess was a loser? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a loser. <laughs> but yeah, like Jeff East here looking all pissed off. And actually, I think he's like... I think he was like either the same age or a little bit older than Christopher Reeve, and they actually did prosthetic makeup on him to make him look like Christopher Reeve. I mean, he definitely looks younger. Yeah, like, yeah. Like his actual response, they actually did this—the whole scene where he kicks the football and it goes there. There was an air cannon right underneath his foot or something like that, and they, hmm. that's how they did it. And I love this scene here with uh, he's racing the train, racing the train, where they actually had him suspended on wires. And um, doing his legs, or whatever. And apparently, he's beautifully shot. Apparently, he fucked up like his thighs. Yeah, he tore several thigh muscles doing that shit. Yeah, this scene right here. It was cool, but that's messed up, man. And they recreated this in uh, Superman Returns. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and one thing they uh, the the special feature has that that little girl on the train uh, is actually Lois Lane, and she oh. seems yeah. And also her parents. It also kind of makes it creepy. Age yeah, wise. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then also her parents in that same scene are the original uh, Clark and Lois, uh, Kirk Allen and Noel Neal. Huh. Uh, so nice little cameo there. I love this thing here too, where like you see the you see Clark racing away, which was actually just done with a, a motorcycle, and they put some uh, like dust, like a bag of dust, on the end of it. Well, I mean, it's a dirt road, and you just run a motorcycle, kick up enough. Anyway. And you don't, you don't really see it enough to, like, yeah. distinguish it. Now, the kids are coming in, they got to go party and shit. And then, the funny enough, the song that's playing, Rock Around the Clock. Yeah. Glenn Ford was in the movie that, uh, that popularized that song, uh, Blackboard Jungle. Oh, right. He's in that oh, movie. Oh, jeez. Glenn Ford. Dude, I haven't seen that shit before. Yeah, Glenn Ford is in that movie. I love this listening. Hey, look, it's Clark. <laughs> he got that before, though. <laughs> Clark. How'd you get here so fast? I ran. 
<laughs> Real smart ass about that. When Glenn's head just pops up, like, oh, what a smart Alex son. But yeah, but still, it's kind of a lesson. Time for a lesson here, son. Mm-hmm. Got showing off, ain't you, that boy? <laughs> Very country way to do that shit, dude. Well, but I mean, that's part of the whole thing, right? It's supposed mm-hmm. to be. Oh, man, you can almost see it in his walk there. You're right about his thighs. Exactly. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah, they jacked him up. Yes, they did. So uh, Jeff East's response to the whole thing about him and his uh, voice being dubbed though, he's like, I was not happy about it because the producers never told me what they had in mind. It was done without my permission, but it turned out okay. Chris did a great job, but it caused tension between us. We have since resolved our issues years later. Yeah, but there's no reason for him to be mad at Chris. Exactly. And also another fun, crazy fact here. Both Brandon Ralph and Christopher Reeve were both 26 when they were first cast as Superman. Hmm. So just kind of ironic there. And I love this little speech here where he's like, uh, you know, talking about like, and I'm I supposed to do what I'm supposed to, like, uh, like, is it showing off to do what I can actually do? Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, the whole uh, thing, you know, the Southern, that, uh, well, not really Southern, but Midwestern mentality of being humble. It's just the old country thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the hard yeah. work, work ethic. It's the old, yeah. that old... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's about the way to put it. It's old country work ethic. Yeah. And I love the whole thing. It was like, the one thing I do know, son, is that is you are here for a reason. And I know one thing. It's not to score touchdowns. Yep. So apparently the uh, Kent Farm is actually in uh, Blackie, Alberta, Canada. Yep. Yeah. Man, it, looks, it looks great, man. It looks, like, it, it looks like you can be Midwestern town. Man. There's, a, there's a shot coming up here that uh, I think it's got, if I remember, I think it's a church in the background. Mm-hmm. And the church was actually, um, it was actually built, I think it was one-fifth scale model. Yeah. And uh, the crazy thing on that shot, so they were talking about how to, how to shoot it. Hmm. I can't remember if it was, um, it wasn't Glenn. Um, oh, wait, wait. Oh, I like this. Oh, wait, hold on. we got to watch this. The heart attack scene. Man. It's very simple, but very powerful. Yeah. And Martha finally sees him. Jonathan. Man. So basically, the whole the one semblance of innocence that Clark had in his life is now shot. Yeah. Now he has to grow up. This is definitely the coming of age moment for Superman. Yeah. The death of Jonathan Kent. It's just shot yeah. beautifully. It really is. I didn't realize how powerful this was until I got older. Man. And this wide shot that they went into here is just absolutely gorgeous. Just both of them, both of them by the body. Yeah. And same thing in the cemetery. It's still in Canada. Yeah. Dude, looks so good. Jeffrey Unsworth did a fantastic fucking job. Yeah. Yeah. Very sad. Like, it, like we're both kind of silent right now because it's actually very, very well done. Well, so this coming around as they pan around, this is going to be that church there's a one fifth scale model there in the background that's right yeah they did a great job with it yeah yeah you can't you can bear the tip though yeah I mean it's it's fantastic the way they put this one together yeah you know and this is kind of a this is kind of a similar trope Mm -hmm. in a lot of a lot of comics right with the 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 death of a father death of a father figure where the the superhero now is forced to grow up and the one thing he says here at the funeral all these things I can do, all these powers, and I couldn't even save them. Nope. That's kind of indicative of a lot of superheroes, but particularly Superman, because like that's the common thing, this common thread throughout most of the productions of, of Superman. And there's actually a great episode of a uh, Superman animated series where a cop dies, 
uh, during the alien invasion, and they have this funeral, and all these different people show up, all the different characters show up, and in, in the very end is Superman along with the the grave, and it's a dude named Dan Turpin. He's like, uh, you tell him goodbye. In the end, the world didn't need a Superman, just a brave one. Yeah. Very poignant, even for an animated series, and it's just see Superman silhouetted with the grave, and and they, and they had the guy's name Dan Turpin, Earth's greatest hero. Yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah, and now we got another oh kind of coming of age moment here where you know he finds the crystal. Well, the yeah. crystal's calling to him in his sleep. And there's a little point here where like so, like uh, when he like goes to the window, the music is very similar to like something you hear in Jaws. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely definitely something that's uh, in a similar vein. Yeah, like you know, like. Uh, but it's it's because it's inducing that feel of danger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also adventure, I think. It's like a little flourish, or it sounds just like Jaws. Yeah. yeah. What's weird is how old he is at this point. That this is the first time he's experiencing this with the crystal. Yeah, eighteen. It's supposed yeah. to be. Yeah, eight, yeah, it just happens to get to him when he's eighteen. I think it's like. I think it's even like there's a clock or something. Even the crystal's like it's time. Yep. It's time. You gotta do it. It's, it's time. It's, it's time to move on there, but. Well, because I mean, you gotta figure. So he's in this little farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. He doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't do anything. Yeah. It's so weird in so many ways that this is the first time in that that barn. Which I, I don't know if you've ever been in any barns. I've been in a few barns. Mm-hmm. There's not that many places in there. Yeah. Like. How this is the first time he's seeing or experiencing this is, is kind of funny. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it works. It works for the film. Yeah. Uh, so, like, uh, it's, I, I love this. Is, this is a great effect with the green crystal. Mm-hmm. And it's the first iteration of this, anything like this in, like, any of the... The kryptonite. Yeah, it's not really kryptonite. It's a, like, this is actually helps him. Uh, it would actually would not but be. They always did kryptonite as green, though, right? Yeah, always did kryptonite as green, but actually they've done different variations. We'll get into that a little bit later. But mm. uh, the main color is green, but yeah, like this one actually helps them, and they're gonna use it again as a plot device in Superman too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this here. This is a great shot, and then also the uh, product placement that she does <laughs> <laughs> right there. Cheerios. <laughs> Uh, you know what? They put out like a half a million bucks or whatever whatever yeah. product placement was going for back then. Anything to help us appreciate that. Yeah. It was such a sweet scene where you're just in a cornfield. Damn, it's such a good... Damn, this movie looks great. Oh, it's beautifully shot. And again, we're joking, right, of course, yeah. with the product... Again, Cheerios right there at the product Cheerios placement. But it's like, it doesn't take anything away from it. No, it doesn't. Not at all. It's still a powerful scene, man. Gives them a good action. Yeah. And yeah, they built that. They, you can kind of see it, but they built a specific path for them to walk. Yep. So they, you know, they don't disturb the, you know, waves of green there. It looks great too. Yeah. Yeah. But now you know, we have that moment where I gotta leave now. Sorry, Mama. I've gotta abandon you now that Dad's dead. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> that's what it really comes down. It kind of comes across that way. Like, I don't want to say it like that, but yeah, it does kind of come across, come across that way. It's sad, but I yeah. mean, it's what happens, right? You got to yeah. grow up. Yeah. While we have this powerful moment here, we're going to talk a little bit about the whole uh, casting of Superman himself. Mm. So now, initially, they wanted to uh, sign a, a A-list actor to play Superman um, before our Dick Don came on as director. Um, they offered like large sums to like Robert Redford. Uh, but he felt he was too famous to play Superman. Uh, also, Paul Newman uh, turned it down. Uh, he actually, actually, Paul Newman was offered three roles. He was offered Superman, Lex Luthor, or Jor-El 
for four million dollars. He turned them all down. So, uh, but other actors considered for uh, <laughs> Superman. They apparently they went everywhere. Uh, they were just so desperate to find a Superman. They they uh, this this is a great list too. Warren Beatty, Charles <laughs> Bronson, Sam Elliott, Dustin Hoffman, Burt Reynolds, Chris Christopherson, Al Pacino, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ryan O'Neill, Jeff Bridges, Jan Michael Vincent, that's funny, David Soule, uh, Robert Wagner, Christopher Walken, John Voight, and, and, and two of the weirdest ones, Elton John, and Muhammad Ali. Those are both... Somehow weirder than Christopher Walken and Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, I mean, I love Dustin Hoffman, but he's way too little to play. But apparently, apparently, they were really heavy on Warren Beatty or Robert Redford. But when both of them turned it down, the front runners then became John Voight or Nick Nolte. John Voight would have been interesting. We said, we said that a lot. Like we would do like movies, or whatever. Like who who was supposed to play who? Nick Nolte comes up a lot. Yeah, but. Well, I guess this was the seventies. His drinking problem hadn't really become a thing yet. Uh, well, we must have because, like, like he, uh, yeah, <laughs> must have been warming up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but look at this beautiful scene. This look oh, at this, this shot. crane shot up crane and over. Shot. Oh, right. yeah, that's beautiful. Now, now we're gonna go into the Great White North, where like Clark does a lot of a uh, lot, a lot of uh, walking, a lot of hanging out, <laughs> a lot of hanging out. There. This is uh, again. This will be. Uh, it was a great outdoor shop, but the actual studio itself was actually Pinewood, the yep. 007 stage. Yeah, the establishing out here in the wide. Yeah. Oh, yeah, another actor considered for, well, another person considered for uh, Superman, Bruce Jenner. <laughs> I never saw him as an actor, to be honest. Never saw him as a man. Well, I mean, he's not around anymore, so... No, no, no there's no more Bruce. <laughs> well, but no. here's the thing you got to remember, too. I mean, back then, mm-hmm. he... I mean, he literally was a mm-hmm. Superman. Like, he'd, he'd won, yeah. was it the Decathlon or something? Yeah, yeah, he was on the Wheaties box. He yeah. was the guy. I mean, he was the dude. Yeah, for a little bit, yeah. <laughs> he, he was the dude. He was. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, so apparently uh, one of the reasons that Nick Nolte turned it down, he said he had, he would do it, but only if he could make Clark Kent schizophrenic. <laughs> <laughs> of course some weird thing like that for an actor man like okay and he also uh, auditioned other people like James Brolin Lyle Wagner and Perry King all auditioned for Superman and also Sylvester Stallone right after Rocky <laughs> <laughs> tried to get Superman but apparently they turned it apparently he was turned out because he was deemed too Italian yo Lois yeah but he found out that Marlon Brando had some scripting approval um, Marlon Brando was also a big factor in him being turned down, mm. uh, apparently, yeah. <laughs> and uh, apparently, uh, apparently, he did the same thing with Burt Reynolds. The Burt Reynolds went for Sonny and the Godfather. Marlon Brando did the same thing. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, and the thing about it is, Stallone found out about it and went on Murder Griffin's show and denounced Marlon Brando, saying he had no respect for him as an actor or a man. And because <laughs> of the fact that it surprised a lot of people, because early Stallone was considered, you know, in a lot of people's eyes, like a young then the next Brando, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they've, they've since gone off from that. Uh, yeah, um, uh, apparently Stallone said he was uh, he, he felt that Brando was hypocritical because of the fact that uh, Brando himself stated several times that he took Jorel basically for a paycheck. Uh, and, <laughs> but even though even though he just took it for a paycheck, he he found he found enough need to veto Stallone himself and trying to get a role, which he thought was like really weird. Um, also, yeah. John, also John Travolta. Audition for Clark Kent. 
But the salt yeah, has turned him down. But you got to remember, like, young Travolta. He probably, I mean, mm-hmm. Yo, he, he could have done it. Yeah, young Travolta, yes. And also James Conn was also the role. Been, yeah. Was, yeah. This, was this the year before or the year after um, uh, Saturday Night Fever? I think it was the same year. So that's what I'm saying. 78. So like, yeah. 78. Yeah, so right around then, like, I mean, he had the look. Yeah. He needed, if he was going to do Superman, though, he'd have to put on some, some masks. Yeah, I think this is the same year he did Grease and, I think Grease and Saturday Night Fever came out the same year. He just, he just needed, honestly, they need to throw him in the gym for a little mm-hmm. bit and he'd have been fine. Yeah. And now we got the creation of the Fortress of Solitude, so a little piece of his home on Earth. Mm-hmm. With the green crystal creating it for him, and look how huge and it looks fantastic. That's a matte painting, of course. But now we're in the actual set, and damn, it's massive. It's a lot of plexi. God damn, it's massive. <laughs> and then apparently they uh, will use like salt instead of snow. Yeah. But uh, like they had to wear like special like rubber shoes because it kept rub- it kept like um, melting through like the soles of everybody's shoes and shit. Hmm. So they got a lot of crystals here, man. The crystal thing becomes a big thing, especially on Smallville. I'm going to keep mentioning Smallville because they pretty much, like, they foreshadowed the shit out of Superman the movie on Smallville. <laughs> they used a lot of elements from that movie on that show, man. And that show ran for, like, ten years. Well, you said they should just retitle it. Foreshadowing in the series. Because <laughs> everything, like, every conversation was, like, just a sly Superman reference. You know what I'm saying? Like, like what I was telling earlier, like, uh, the girls would be like, uh, Wow, Clark Kent, are you a man or a Superman? Or uh, they'd be like, uh, wow, you're faster than a speeding bullet. Hint, hint. Or uh, like uh, I was talking about the, the Jonathan Kitt character. There's one episode where they did a video. And he was like, uh, this is Clark, my son, the man of steel. Like, <laughs> And like his, 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 uh, yeah, his uh, kid, his uh, childhood like uh, treehouse. Was called the Fortress of Solitude. Just a lot of for, and then just the dress, the general dress of the character on the show, and they actually Smallwood producers actually said they based uh, their version of Clark Kent on the Jeff East mm. uh, version of uh, Clark in this movie. Uh, and now we get this big like this, projection. This, 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 this is Marlon Brando's wish right here. This is what he wanted to do the whole movie. <laughs> we have a projection of just uh, Brando's face and him doing the narration. But it's, it's, <laughs> you do not remember me. I'm Jorel. I'm your father. Yeah, this is what he wanted. <laughs> yeah, that's what he wanted the whole thing to be. Just yeah. him on a, well, because that'd be just him in a, a sound stage or in a sound booth by himself yeah. for two days and he goes home. Yeah, but uh, from what I saw, they just, uh, yeah, they got him in the studio. They put like a black cloth around his like neck and shit like that. And they just shot him, put the wig on him and all he did. Yeah. 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 And then just CGI and force yeah. him out on top. You're good to go, man. Yeah. But now we got this, uh, you know, we got a little education here from uh, Jorel explaining to young Cal who he is and where he comes from. Uh, there are questions to be asked. And now's <laughs> the time for you to do so. The, yeah, funny, yeah. the funny thing is he put this whole thing together and we didn't watch him do any of it because it seemed like it went so quick from, hey, the world's going to explode to, okay, let's get the kid out of here. The world's exploding. And give him, uh, give him lessons on every aspect of our society. <laughs> exactly. and, also, and also provide him a way to actually create a fortress. Of solitude. Of, of solitude. Yeah. And even he says it like, uh, this fortress of solitude. <laughs> so my son, speak. Yeah. Your name is kal you're the only survivor of the planet Krypton. Even though you have been raised as a human being, you are not one of them. You have great powers, only some of which you have as yet discovered. Now we go into the eye of Marlon Brando. And some, some, more space, some, some more space shots again, great space shots. And then like narration, more further narration from Marlon Brando. 
saying that basically this is happening over a year, a period of years right. when it's getting educated by uh, Jor-El. This also, again, Smallville, they actually incorporated this on the show. What do you think? What do you think was worse, Gotham or Smallville for for foreshadowing? Definitely Smallville. Okay. Definitely Smallville. They did it every goddamn chance they got. <laughs> My God, like just like out of nowhere, bro. Like fucking like this ain't really a Superman. Like I was talking about the the mascot for the high school was a goddamn crow with a red <laughs> with a red cape and an X on his chest, <laughs> foreshadowing the fucking the super crow. And, and every chance they got, they would have some reference to like it'd be like I remember they were in a museum and they were supposed to have this big metal chest. Like it's supposed to it belong to Alexander the Great. It had an S on it. It's supposed to be a snake, they said, <laughs> but it was an S. And then Clark Kent looks at it. I, I can't imagine going into battle wearing that. <laughs> and then, another great episode, they were in shock class. And, uh, of course, Clark's project was building a metal S. And the teacher having to place it right above his chest, right as the camera came around. <laughs> How did that show stay on the air? Dude, they did it all the time. <laughs> it's too much. Oh, man. And then, like, uh, of course, they started doing, uh, in, every chance they got, somebody did the shirt rip. <laughs> Initially, it wasn't Clark. It would be somebody else that did it. But then, like, towards the end of the season, they started embracing it. And Clark would be the one that does it. <laughs> <laughs> man, it's so fucking silly. But I, I, hey, I was devoted to that show. I, I watched it from the beginning. I watched it when it debuted. And I watched it when it ended. So... You got me beat there. I didn't hang with it. I hung with it the entire I, goddamn I, I hung, I hung with it the entire <laughs> ten seasons. It got much, actually, much better as the seasons went along. There was a little period that we got just got too melodramatic, but mm. I still felt good. But I like this series. He's like, uh, man, they are great people, Kalel. They wish to be. They only like to like to show the way. For this reason, above all, I sent them you. My yeah, son. no pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but now Clark King knows who he is. He knows his goals, and apparently Joriel gave him a suit. <laughs> and now oh, we get yeah. our and now we get our first shot. And this is the first actual practical flying shot of Christopher Reeve as it, Superman. It was either he his dad gave him a suit, or mm-hmm. he got really good with his sewing machine in those mm-hmm. years while he was learning. But yeah, this is the very first shot of Christopher Reeve flying. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he did it perfectly the first time. Like all this shit with him banking. That was on. That, they didn't tell him to do that. He just did that on his own because apparently he's like, he was like, uh, he could just feel it. No, he uh, apparently he used to like hang glide and shit like that. Ah, okay. So, so he's that, already ready. So, for he, it. so he helped with his Dude, flying. How yeah. much? How much must that suck? Like you're a hang glider and all that stuff, and then what actually ends up finally paralyzing oh, is a damn a horse. horse. Yeah. So ironic. Ugh. It's just ridiculous. Like you'd think it'd be like flying or something. Exactly, but nope. It is. Now we get to the Daily Planet. <laughs> I like I like this like the whole thing through the lens and kind of introducing everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool though. I like this. Now in terms of casting for Lois Lane, you know, played by Margot Kidder, they actually uh, did a bunch of different actresses. And actually, if you look at the special features of the of the of the uh, special edition of Superman the movie, you see the like screen tests of the different actresses they had: mm-hmm. uh, Shirley MacLaine, Liza Minnelli, Barbara Streisand, and Natalie Wood were all considered. Barbara Streisand. Yeah, uh, I guess in the seventies. Yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee was actually considered, but they turned mm. her down because she thought she was too young. Uh, they offered Jessica Lange both Lois and Miss Tessmacher, who was going coming up later. Mm-hmm. Um, and also for the actual screen test, and you actually see these on the uh, special features. You see Ann Archer, Leslie Ann Warren, yeah, uh, Deborah Ruffin, Susan Bakley, Stocker Channing, and uh, April Bryan. And then of course you see Margot Kiddo's one as well. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 
but actually, I, I watched the screen test, and you got a first shot here of uh, Christopher Reeve as Superman. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Mark, ridiculous uh, glasses. And Mark McClure as Jimmy Olsen. Mark McClure is the only actor of all these people who actually showed in, up in all the <laughs> Superman movies. He's the only one. He, uh, he, was, he was even in Supergirl. Yeah, but, I mean, mm-hmm. he's about the only one who could. <laughs> exactly. And funny enough, with the, except, like, with the exception of uh, uh, Jackie Cooper here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically, all of these people guest starred on Smallville <laughs> in different roles, man. It's crazy to see, man. Like, I, I love the interaction here between uh, Margot Kidd and Christopher Reeve, seeing for the first time the whole, like, shaking the bottle and uh, doing that little weird thing. And like I said, we see Jackie Cooper here as a uh, Perry White, and we mentioned this. Uh, well, I don't know if we mentioned this on the show, but like uh, Jackie Cooper is actually the model for Johnny Quest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I totally forgot about. Yeah, that. you can see the hair. Like you see the hair. Like a yeah. hey, just imagine him as a younger kid. Yeah, that's that's definitely Johnny Quest. Uh, but yeah, Jackie Cooper was a kid actor who uh, was uh, you know in the R Gang Follies. You know the little rascals. Yeah. Get down. Which one did he play again? Do you remember? I forgot exactly which one. But yeah, he was one of the, he was one of the little rascals. But I do like this little line in the dialogue here. This is definitely Tom Mankiewicz here. Like, not, not only does he have a snappy, punchy pro style, but he is, in my 30 years in the business, the fastest typist I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I like this stuff here. Oh, yeah, and the, uh, the thing about his mom. This is a great line, too. Like, uh, could you have um, half of my salad go to this this thing on a, day, on a weekly basis? <laughs> You're bookie, right? No. Don't tell no. me. He sends a check every week to his sweet gray hair on her mother. Well, actually, she's silver haired. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it just gives you like a little touch of how nerdy and, and like yeah. you know, that Clark Kent is. Uh, and this is another another good line too, right here. Any more home like you? Not <laughs> really, no. <laughs> Not really, no. <laughs> yeah, man. Tom did have a, a, a killer gift for dialogue. Yeah. Margot Kidder said she was she had never read comic books and was largely unfamiliar with Superman. Uh, but she did read the script and kind of like the whole dynamic between Clark and Lois and Superman. While she would treat Clark like, you know, like a buddy, like a friend or whatever. But she would be enamored with Superman. She does a big crush on Superman, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love this stuff. And this is actually, I think the, the set of this was like the New York Daily News. So the whole globe and all that stuff, that's all stuff that, you know, that was actually in the building. So, it's just crazy. The number one thing that still kills me about Superman over every other superhero thing... Yeah. Is that literally the difference between people recognizing him and not is the glasses. Yeah. <laughs> but I think uh, one thing that uh, Christopher Reeve does well here, and a lot of people have actually adopted this since then. They've actually... Uh, he was actually the first one to actually make Clark Kent and Superman have different characteristics where you see Clark here different body language yeah he's like he's slumped yeah. over he's like you know stumbling he's you know not confident he's constantly bumping into stuff and yeah. you know constantly adjusting his glasses is kind of cowardly that kind of thing in fact but, I yeah. mean there's something to be said for that as far as actors go did you mm-hmm. ever see um, The Devil's Double no dude so this guy plays both uh, Uday Hussein and Uday Hussein's double uh-huh. it's the same actor playing both parts yeah absolutely killer you mm-hmm. you never have a question when you watch that movie anytime he appears on screen mm-hmm. who he's playing because again like you're talking about everything about the physicality how he plays yeah and also like uh, this is actually the majority of uh, the sets here and uh, actually all the outdoor stuff out here for Metropolis is actually New York 
So they actually shot uh, in New York for like five weeks. Is that actually going to be a good note on New York coming up soon? Oh, yeah. I'm about to say, yeah. And then actually, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to get into that a little bit later. But, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really like, cool here. Man. But, like, since we're talking about, like, uh, like the different stuff here. But let's talk a little more about Christopher Reeve here. Now, he based his performance as Clark Kent on uh, 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 Cary Grant in uh, Bye Bye Baby, I believe. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, the, the whole nervousness and all the stumbling stuff. So he did charmingly befuddled long before Hugh Grant came along. <laughs> now this this scene here has also been reproduced on television shows and movies all the time. Mm-hmm. When the dude shoots, Superman catches it with his hand. Yeah, I know I know for a fact they've done it on Smallville. Yeah. Again, they've done it on uh, Supergirl recently. Uh, I believe they did it in one of the other movies. I just love how the guy literally saw him catch it, and he's scared. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you, you fainted? He's got no idea. Uh, oh, oh, I must have fainted. Oh. See, that's another thing. I make Clark Kent different. Like, I like the shot here. Has the bullet in his hand. Yeah, I cut mm-hmm. that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm about. <laughs> I, love, I love how you, like, names the exact contents of a person shit. Yep. With, with a hairstyle and a lipstick. <laughs> How'd you know that? What? You just named the exact contents of my purse. Lucky guess. <laughs> and uh, Christopher Reeve here was actually suggested by uh, Lynn Stallmaster uh, for his screen test in 19... 19- actually, his first screen test was actually in February 1977. They liked him. They liked his personality. and lo- They loved his earnestness, but they thought he was, like, too small. Because he was very slim at the time. Very tall, but very slim. Oh, our first look at Ned Beatty. Oh, yeah, Ned Beatty is a... Uh, Freaking uh, Otis. I can never see. Man. And you know, I, I didn't realize this. That's the fucking captain for Lethal Weapon. Oh yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't realize that till later. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I guess I totally special on that. Yeah, I was like, he looks familiar. I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, the one note that Ned's never been able to escape, and I'm not going to let him escape it now. Mm-hmm. I can never see him without thinking about what film Deliverance. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Well, two films. Two films. Deliverance and Network. Whenever I see Ned, I think of both those films. You know what I see him? You know what I think of him? I think of uh, Life. Because he was the warden in Life. Oh, shit. That's right. That's I totally good. forgot. Yeah. He looks yeah. so much different when he's that much older. He looked, He looked, He was so good in that movie. Like, just... For the, last, the last warden at the end. Yeah. Well, technically second to last warden. Well, I can't believe... Well, well he's talking Eddie Murphy and Marlon Lawson. Like, I'm not your boss. No, no. There's no way you can make up for, what, 60 years? I'm going to go upstairs and drop I think it was 40 Four. at that point. Yeah. There's no way to make up for 40 years. I'll go upstairs and ride the parking ball. Like, yeah, I'll get your boss. I'm not your boss. I'm not your boss. <laughs> not anymore. And then, of course, he wanted to do it upstairs and died. But just that one little... He's yeah. very powerful in that one little part that he has. He's just got that small, short little moment in the film. I totally forgot about that. Oh, and that. the shit with him and Martin Lawrence was like, uh, they were talking about, talking about how long he had been in prison. Like, it's a long time. I'm sorry I mentioned that, uh, Claude. Like, like, 40 years is a long time. Martin Lawrence is like, is that a long time? He was a lot longer than the innocent. 
So whenever I think about the warden, I always think about the the fat guy whose daughter hooks up with can't get right. Yeah, yeah. That's the warden I always think of. But they, they, they got they got, when they got older, they got transferred. Right. Like warm, well, uh, no, it's with, that that warden left, yeah, and then they yeah. ended up with warrant with, uh, uh, Ned, with Beatty. Ned Beatty, and yeah. then you never see who the other guy is, but obviously somebody replaces him. Exactly. I love this. It just shows how simple oldest is. He's like doing this whole thing with the walking down train. the train. Yeah. <laughs> train tracks. Yeah. Oh man, I think I got some casting things on uh, Lex Luthor, who we're about to see here in just a moment. Yeah, Lex Luthor. Uh, yeah, this guy here. Man. I love how I love how he's pulling this walkie out of his out of his jacket, which means that he must be carrying like a big old walkie thing on his back. Yeah, and I, I think I, I guess they don't show it in the, this version, but in the special features, you actually see Lex watching him. I think he says like it's amazing mm-hmm. that that brain has enough power to generate laser. Oh no, no 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 no! He's about to say it now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he yeah he goes he disappears behind the thing, and then as he's walking in another tunnel, that's when Lex says it. This is cool though, like where he's just sitting there, you know, like what's he doing? Well, like, yeah, there's a secret fortress here. I don't know why he waited till fucking the train came by to fill out the secret fortress. But okay, it's probably because he thought he was being followed. Uh, okay, I give you that. So he wanted to make sure he didn't get yeah. get seen going I mean, into yeah, it. I love the Lex Luthor thing. Because it's kind of it's kind of bumbling a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Well, but it, but it's also good too for, for now. Ned. Now, now Lex is watching him because he's. I mean, he's literally a drunk. We just saw him taking a nip off his whiskey. Yeah, and you see Lex watching the cop. You know, okay. You want to? You trying to find out where we at? I got your ass. And he uses the controls to fucking push the thing out. It's fucked up, too. Mm-hmm. Fucked up way to go. He ran over by a goddamn train, dude. And they also establishes without showing who Lex Luthor is, that this motherfucker does not care. Yeah. And you see your first shot of Miss test marker, Valerie Perrine. What a sex ass. Yeah, Valerie Perrine is still alive, but she's having some uh, mental health issues in recent years, so mm-hmm. you gotta be with her. Yeah, and, and uh, of course, Mr. Gene Hackman has retired altogether from acting. Yeah, he's he's gotten up there. He's been doing this for a long time. And as you'll see in this, and I mean, there's very few movies I can think of where he had hair. True. He was uh, he was unlike well, he's like me. He was unlucky. He went bald early. <laughs> or he had uh, or uh, the stash because he had a lot of sta- he had a lot of stash movies in the, seven, in the seventies. That was a hell of a mustache. Yes, he did. Yeah, he had a great stash. Which is why he's so reluctant to get rid of it for this movie. <laughs> no, I can't remember. Was this a wig or did he actually have hair for this one? He actually had hair, but like they had a consensus at the very end that he had, had to, to add it. They had, they had to add, a, they had add the ball, to it? They had to have one ball cap scene just mm-hmm. for the sake of the character. But, oh, okay. but you see throughout the movie, you see him with different things of wigs. So his hair is styled different, different ways to kind of insinuate that he has different wigs. Uh, so he's he's such a genius. I love that he's so self-aggrandizing. I'm, I'm a genius. I'm this. I'm that. I'm a genius. I'm a genius. I'm a genius and shit. But he, he but he's also very insecure due to fucking all the wigs. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's great. Valerie Green looked really good back then. <laughs> she, she, she really she did. I mean, come, I mean, come on, yeah, she did. <laughs> but yeah, she's playing you know the whole like you know gangster mall type role, Miss Testmarker. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, this would have been really, really interesting with Coppola. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as far as the the other actors considered for Lex Luthor, Dustin Hoffman turned it down. Also, George Kennedy, Jack Nicholson, and Gene Wilder also turned it down. So apparently, I feel it, like it might have been Jack Nicholson. It could have been Jack Nicholson. I can see the, Jack Nicholson. That was the one who 
<laughs> so that's not like Brando's problem. But I don't remember for sure if it was or not. Because, I mean, obviously he came back in with Batman and yeah. just cleaned up. Yeah. And also, uh, the only other person I saw that was considered for Otis was Peter Boyle. That would have been interesting. Yeah, Peter Boyle is Otis. Uh, and uh, Gene, I, I love yeah. I love Ned as Otis. Me too. I really do. And, uh, yeah, apparently... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that, yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently the filmmakers made both him and Brando's uh, like parts as priority because both of them would be committed to other films immediately. They knew that. Mm-hmm. So, because, like, it's very, very clear that both Brando and Gene Hackman did this for publicity right. and the paycheck. And it, and it was very lucrative for both men. More lucrative for Brando, but very lucrative. And, of course, the, both of the men got top billing in the movie. Yep. And they're not Superman. Nope. So, yeah. But it shows it shows that star power at that time frame. You know what I'm saying? Just to, just to have those names attached to this movie gave Look, it such legitimacy. I'm, I'm going to go so far as to say if Gene wanted to do something right now, mm-hmm. he could still command the box office. Oh, yeah. He's Gene Hackman. He's Every, a killer. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, now, we talked about Gene Hackman's mustache. Now, he actually refused to actually cut his mustache to play Lex Luthor. So, actually, the first couple shots of the movie, it, it, actually, there's, like, some early promotion that showed Gene Hackman with the mustache uh, for this movie. So, uh, uh, Dick Donner, the great Dick Donner, proposed a little deal. <laughs> he basically said to uh, Gene Hackman, uh, if you cut off his mustache, Dick Donner would cut his off, too. Hmm. And Gene Hackman agreed. So when it got to the time where Gene Hackman actually was in the barber, got his uh, mustache shaved off, he looked at Dick and he's like, "Okay, your turn." So Dick had a fake mustache on and actually peeled the shell, peeled the shit off. That's great. And he said, from that moment, he became so loyal to Dick Donner. It's like <laughs> I love that. Like that was great. And uh, also, like we talked about this, uh, talked about just a little bit the whole bald cap thing because Lex Luthor is famously portrayed as bald in the comic books. Yep. So to get around the issue, like we talked about, they they would style his hair different ways to kind of give the piece that he's given. You know, he's having like hair pieces and shit. But he finally relented and did the uh, skull cap for the one scene at the very end where he's taken into prison by Superman. So. Yep. Yeah. And uh, as far as uh, Miss Tessmark, I think there's only as far as I can see, there's only two choices. For uh, Miss Tessmacher, Goldie Hawn was the first choice, but she asked for too much money. Mm-hmm. Then Anne Margaret, who also asked for too much money. Yeah. So yeah, those well, they are... pretty much they pretty much blew their budget with Brando and Hackman. Exactly. So, but yeah, like I still like this little interaction here. Like you see, Clark hair, Clark Kent's hair is different here too. He's like he's like thicker, like than we first seen. It's weird. It's very subtle, but yeah, I like, you still see the bumbling. Uh, Lois, could you? Uh, he's scared to go into the ladies' room. <sighs> Even though he can see through the door. He's such, a, <laughs> such a lovable, such a lovable dork man. I love how, like, how nobody just respects Clark Kent at all. Nobody. <laughs> like going down, the oh, oh, <laughs> do now. <laughs> and like you try to say bye to people, they just ignore him. <sighs> man, Clark. Clark Kent, yeah, like Clark Kent. Clark, Clark Kent is basically the embodiment of Rodney Dangerfield. No, no respect. respect. No, no respect, respect at all. <laughs> Nobody respects Clark. But it also helps because the fact that everybody like loves and adores Superman. Well, it kind of it kind of points out how fickle people are anyway. It's like, mm-hmm. if you haven't done anything for them, they don't care about you. Exactly. And also, another fun fact, the voice for the air traffic controller in this scene and in the Air Force One scene is Christopher Reeve. 
Oh really? Mm-hmm. He's nice double dip. Exactly. So Chris Rock, yeah, Chris. Excuse me, Christopher Reed did some voice work. Chris Rock. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I stopped myself. I stopped myself. Especially in the seventies. Yeah, he did some. Yeah, Chris Rock did some great work in the seventies. But now Christopher <laughs> Reed did some voiceover work for this movie. Man, it's crazy. It's crazy to see that too. Like, even I like you don't hear it initially. It's like, oh yeah, that's him. That is definitely him <laughs> because he has the you know straight lace out right there. but it's him. It's cool too. Yeah. So. Uh, now, talking about Christopher Reeve, now, we talked about earlier that he was too slim initially for his audition, so they decided to kind of build up his physique, because they actually proposed doing a muscle suit. He's like, no, fuck that. I, yeah. I want to actually build up my physique. So he went on to a strict physical exercise regimen, supervised by David Prowse, mm-hmm. who most fans would know, uh, especially if you deep cut Star Wars fans. He's the guy that was actually in the suit for the Darth Vader uh, scenes in the original trilogy. Of Star Wars, so he trained. So Darth Vader trained Superman. That's pretty crazy. Exactly, and uh, apparently, uh, with Mister Prowse's help, Christopher Reeve went from 188 pounds to 212 pounds. Hmm. And the funny thing about it is, Christopher Reeve of the uh, main actors was actually the least paid because of the fact that uh, Christopher Reeve got 200. Uh, he got, I think he got actually he got 250 thousand dollars. For both Superman one and two, whereas oh, wow. Marlon Brando got three point seven million and Gene Hackman got two million. But Christopher Reeve felt, you know what? Superman has brought me so many opportunities, as opposed to closing doors in my face, it, it evened itself out for sure. So, and oh, this wonderful shot here of the helicopter scene with mm-hmm. Lois again, a scene that's been replicated so many goddamn times. Oh yeah, over and over. Smallville. Superman animated series. Well, even outside of Superman, I mean, yes. this, basically, if you just had her fight on top of it, it's the end of uh, Cliffhanger. True. <laughs> that is true. I, I, I give you that. That is true. We have like, all these people. Like, oh my God! Look, there's somebody up there. There's somebody up there. Yeah, this is. Kind I love of- how immediately, as soon as it crashes, the pilot just passes out. Yeah. So yeah, she is fucked. Otherwise. Oh yeah. It's such a it's such a great shot, man. Like, oh, yeah. Got all the police and the fire people, and this one lanky ass cop that always gets me when he, I see him laugh. When I see him like running. I think he showed either they showed him. I think they showed him already. No, no, well, his not his arms flail. I think they showed it already. Oh, he's a flailer. He's a flailer, and he's like holding people back. Like no. <laughs> yep, I saw. Him. <laughs> there he was. He just yeah, did it with his arms the, fl- the flailer, the flailer. He wasn't running. He was just kind yeah, of yeah. limp-wristedly holding oh, people back. Oh, here we go. Our debut of Superman. And I love how the hat made it all the way down to right to the beginning of the, to the opening of the... Uh, right the, where he was standing. Yeah, right where he was standing. And it's a very scant amount of people for a fucking helicopter about to fucking fall. <laughs> yeah, like, and I love this little joke here where he goes to the phone booth and it's like half a phone booth. No, can't nope, do that. that doesn't count. Can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> damn, it's so damn cool, man. Yeah. I love how all these people crowded around so they yeah. can be the ones to get hit by her when she yeah. falls. And the, and the fucking build of music. Yeah. And the shirt rip. And we've got our first full shot of Christopher Reeve as Superman with the pimp. That's a bad outfit. Woo! Yeah, Superman, excuse me. Excuse me, pimp. I don't have time. I'll be back later. I don't have, I don't have time for you and your prost. Oh, Lois fell. She's gone. She's gone. Yeah. Everyone watch out. You're going to get well, splattered. Who's that? Even though this will kill her. 
Probably. It's not the best way to catch her. Yeah. Halting her momentum like that. Yeah. I think you have to kind of catch up to her as she's going. Yeah, yeah. You kind of add to her, yeah. Just stopping like that, yeah, would have killed her. And this is a great shot, too. Holds her and catches the goddamn helicopter. With the music going. Now the world gets their first introduction. How are people not just scared shitless? What is that thing that just grabbed that woman and is now holding a Every, helicopter? No, no, everybody, everybody is super fucking happy. Like, like, oh, that's awesome. That's, it's that's a miracle. Superman. It's a miracle. I'd be scared. Like, what the hell could do that? <laughs> what the fuck, bro? <laughs> Where'd he come from? Are you on our side? Yeah. Please, for the love of God, tell me. Are you on our team? <laughs> okay, so apparently uh, Roger Moore, so we talk about Roger Moore again, apparently his autobiography, he actually witnessed Christopher Reeve on set on Pinewood walking around as Superman. And all the girls were going fucking nuts. Like, oh my god, look, he's so fine, he's so beautiful. But then at the same time, when he was just a clock can't nobody pay attention to him. <laughs> so it worked. I love this scene here. I love this little line here. Like, who are you? A friend. Just real simple. A friend. Man. That is so fucking cool. He just flies away. It's all him, too. It's yeah. fucking nuts, bro. Just wires and him. Of course she does. Now we get now we be in a montage of super rescues on his first night. Like, yeah, might as well keep going. This 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 is oriented to me like like crazy when I was a kid. Like I was like, oh, yeah, he's upside down right now. Him. And uh, uh, I believe they caught they, they actually came up with like the new like uh, process for this movie, like Zoptic, where they allowed him to do that with the background and all that shit. Mm. So cool. We got our first burglar. This whole get down with the montage of uh, first saves on the first night, it'd be done a bunch of times, including, I know, I remember seeing it in Meteor Man and Steel. They, are both, they both have a montage of like the first night. I'm just thinking as I'm watching this, has anybody ever actually tried to break into a place the way that this guy's breaking in? No, I like, don't think so. You see this shit in spy movies all the time, but like, who would actually do that? Who had the dexterity and the stamina to be able to do this? Well, not only is it physically nearly impossible and exhausting, but, I mean, P, everyone can see you. Yeah. I like this. <laughs> Step right on Superman boot, who's upside down in the building. Hi there. Coming on the elevator. <laughs> uh, apparently, I think, I think they did a thing where, like, he, like, this next scene coming up here. You see this guy in the office where Superman catches him. That guy's upside down. Oh, I got you because he was standing up top. Yeah. So he's like doing like an ab bridge and leaning back in yeah, his chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is crazy because that, that dude must have a hell of a core. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Officer Not that for an old dude. Moody. I say confession's good for the soul. <laughs> I listen to this man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually, there's a crazy fact. You don't like. Uh, I actually looked it up too. You don't see uh, Superman or Lex Luthor until well over forty minutes into the movie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you don't see them together for a long, long time. time. Exactly, like over an hour. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the, the <laughs> apparently uh, uh, Dick Donner actually had uh, the whole. Uh, he he. I, I think Dick Donner's the one that came in with the idea for the scene of. Uh, uh, well, let me rephrase that. Okay, so initially in the script, the helicopter scene was just 
Superman saving Lois from falling. But Dick Donald's the one that added the whole uh, helicopter, helicopter. Falling, yeah, the double jeopardy scene. He added that. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. And like, I this little scene here where you see all these uh, criminals at the marina, all these guys are stunt performers from Kojak. Oh, yeah? Because apparently uh, Dick Donald did a bunch of episodes of Kojak. Yeah, 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 back in the day. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it in the group you know. Exactly. So, yeah, it works great. Yeah, these guys do a great job. <laughs> the one <laughs> cop on board. Exactly. He's got to count me money. Well, just sits there and counts money that way. Yeah, he's so happy. But this is so cool. Superman just standing there. Got your ass. <laughs> and this is a very 70s joke here. The guy comes behind him with the crowbar. Yeah. Bad vibrations. <laughs> I swear it's flaying. <laughs> this car kills me. I swear it's flaying. <laughs> with a big red cape and bite red boots as well. <laughs> Look at the wick. Quick as a wick is going. Flew up in the gear again like a, like a big blooper. And yeah, the other, and other New York sure. cop like, like, yeah, whatever, yeah. I told but, you not to drink when you come to work. Yeah, like, I like go back to Morris Bill. Like, I like go back to Morris Bar and finish what you started. And you see the boat and you see they see Superman together. <laughs> Mooney, first bottles on me. <laughs> Let me get my hat. Man. <laughs> you were right, Mooney. Damn, look, that's a great shot, man. Look at that. I have to say, it's going to cost him a ton of money to get that boat out of there. <laughs> Fuck him, whatever, <laughs> whatever, bro. A little girl here. This is definitely Inga. This, oh, this yeah. is pilot. I think the actual flying shot is actually in New York, but the, the little girl here, that's a English girl. That's a little English girl. That's a little English girl. Well, it's an English neighborhood. I mean, yeah. it looks like, like the pine. And you can tell the little girl's voice is dubbed over too. She, that, it's English. Yeah. Bye. I love how this little girl got her ass whooped. <laughs> She's actually telling the truth. Yeah, I tell you to stop telling lies and spank her. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, all this another one that's been redone a bunch of times. Fucking Superman saving Air Force One. Mm-hmm. Damn man, I just saw actually they did a, a Superman animated series as a two part called World's Finest. This is how they introduced Superman. He's saving Lois Lane from like I think oh, Air Force One's being hijacked. Boom. I don't like, know that lightning yeah. would blow up an uh, engine. <laughs> engine like that, considering I I think I've been in a plane that was struck before. All these guys are English, and you get like, uh... They're looking. Yeah, and then all the voices are dubbed over. Little American. Especially this guy here. Yeah. <laughs> the voice, port out, port engine, and part of wing. Repent, the registry <laughs> landing. What's your position? <laughs> ten miles, that's ten miles, southwest of Buffalo's Air You know, it, remi- <laughs> it reminds me of the, uh, yeah. the the voiceover from Dispatch at the end of Blues Brothers. Yes. Be advised. Uh, yes. <laughs> Jake Blues and L1 Blues. Maintain pursuit. <laughs> <laughs> this, they actually recreated this exact shot on Smallville's finale. This is, this, this is his first save and on that show this is his first save as Superman in full costume saving mm-hmm. Air Force One except the engine didn't blow up but they, he, he, it's basically the same side same look I love this guy here fly don't look just fly we got <laughs> something I ain't saying what it is just trust me 
Such a great story. <laughs> yeah, I'll go back to look at the window. What the Dude. hell is that guy? Tom is great, man. Oh, yeah. Dude. And you know, all the news reports of Superman. Actually, that reporter right there, the one on the right, mm-hmm. that's the hotel dude from Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the dude with, when they go to the, the Cedric Hotel, that manager, the little nervous manager guy. That's I, the, that's I the have reporter. no idea be so much. I, I won't pay it. That guy, yeah. <laughs> Same guy. That's all right. We can put it back. This no, some no, sort no. Of, This is some sort of fantastic hoax. Your guess is as good as anybody's. True or false? Miracle or fraud? Damn, that would look good. <laughs> I love, I love him swimming with a swimming cap. Uh, she's actually kind of famous in terms of uh, female actresses for one particular reason. Uh, the first uh, piece of nudity on broadcast television was Valerie Freen, uh in a, a miniseries called. Uh, no, it, it was a. I think it's kind of like a play called Steam Bath. Uh, it actually did it on broadcast television? Uh, I think, yeah. Oh, there's Lex's wig. Yeah, Lex's wigs. See? Yeah, multiple oh. ones. But yeah, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's like this uh, play where all these deep, different people are like in purgatory, which is takes the place of a steam bath or whatever. They're all mm-hmm. there for different reasons. Um, and Valerie Preen is one of them. And at one point, she comes in there naked. You, you see ass. So. Hmm. And actually, fucking um, what's his name? Bill Bixby is in it. All right. Yeah, Bill Bixby is in Steam Bath. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, like they said, like, like Alex is like so excited, like <laughs> he just runs and, his and, and for no other reason other than his own ego, he decides to make Superman his enemy. Yeah. Like you want, like, yeah, like if you want to do the crime of the century, you gotta want to face the challenge of the century. <laughs> so it's up to me to uh, destroy everything this man represents. I like he's fucking with him about the bathroom. <laughs> and Otis, um, next time, could you be my... Like, you didn't Wait have for to, me to get out of the water? You didn't have to put it on in the water. <laughs> it's so stupid. Uh, yeah, this is, this is great here with Jackie Cooper. That's, that one font with that the Data Planet, Cape, War- Cape Wonder, Stun City, yeah. been recreated several times. Oh, I, okay. I've seen it, I know for a fact, on both Smallville and Superman Returns. Hmm. That exact little thing. You know, like everybody's like you know, like uh, and the same thing here where uh, when super, when uh, Superman first appears, Perry White gets all excited, calls all the reporters and them. Got to know everything about Superman, everything they did it on fucking Lois and Clark. I remember that. And I actually like the. I mean, they do that with every every one where you have a new thing. It's the same thing with yeah. Spider Man. We need to know everything about this Spider Man. Yeah, who is he? Where is he? Where does he come from? Give me pictures can... by Monday. Exactly, and but uh, I like the actually like the uh, the Perry White on, on Lois and Clark a little bit more than this guy. Because he was like an Elvis fan of Southern. I don't know. It, just, it was just funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like, yeah. Everybody like, who is he? Where does he come from? Does he have a girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> she she smiles like, yeah. I hope it's me. What's your what's the favorite ball team? And I love he's about to answer. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> Whichever one of you gets it out of him is going to wind up with the single most important interview since God talked to Moses. That is a great line. <laughs> that is a great line, dude. Get on that story. <laughs> He's not as bad as J. Jonah Jameson, but yeah. <laughs> Pretty good, though. Pretty damn good. Yeah, this is Gar and fucking editor. You gotta have that guy. Oh, yeah. I want to know everything. Everything now. Over my cigar. It's never lit. <laughs> hey, Timex. Timex got their product placement. It's never lit. Yeah, the cigar is never lit. Sorry, Timex just got their product placement on her. Oh, yeah, her wristwatch, yeah. 
this Which, beautiful bathroom. This right scene. here was his uh, his screen test scene. Yeah, actually, I think the screen test scenes were this one and he was sweating right through the suit. Yeah, exactly. And another so and another one was from was a deleted scene from Superman Two where he reveals who he is. Yeah. Those were the two test scenes. I love this scene here too. <laughs> she ready for a date. He ready for an interview. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's so cool too. No, I can come back later. No, 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 don't you go to work? <laughs> yeah, I love. Yeah, I love how she's act, how different she acts to Superman as opposed to Clark. Yeah, yeah, and it's the same goddamn guy. Yeah. Damn man, I'm just I'm just kind of like in awe of Christopher Reeve as Superman. Dude. I really am. He he uh, he definitely was able to rock the spandex. Yes, he was. That's the other thing that's kind of interesting about this. I don't think you can find a superhero movie made in the last 20 years that has nearly as much smoking in it. Yeah, and, <laughs> and also you don't really find too many uh, heroes. Like, you, you, a lot of the actors who play superheroes get in great shape, but there are very few that don't have muscles in the suit. This is pure him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Michael Keaton, that was all a goddamn muscle suit. Yeah. And, you know, say so like even now, the Avengers movies and all that shit. They're like CGI suits and suits with muscles. Well, they do a lot of uh, what you refer to, I think, as visual sweetening. Yeah. Where they go in and they, they exaggerate everything to try to make it look a little more vascular. Yeah. You know, I love this interview. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a girlfriend, but if I did, Miss Lane, you'd be the first to know about it. <laughs> this is a great scene. Yeah, it's very playful. It's good chemistry in it. And how, how he's answering the questions, but not answering them. Like, yeah. she's like, how old are you? Over 21. <laughs> <laughs> And he, but he is giving her exact weight and height, though. 6'4", 225, is it? She's 225 since fucking high school. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, impressed. Mm, 225. I'm like, yeah. Been, been there, done that. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is very much uh, Tom Anquist. I assume the rest of your bodily functions are normal. <laughs> Yeah, the ping pong they got going there. Yeah, man. Do you eat? <laughs> yes, I do. When I'm hungry. And actually, I have this little note here. Uh, where uh, Tom Mankiewicz actually talks about this shit. He's like, uh, the whole scene where he had this right here on the balcony where he's like, I never lie. And uh, Tom Mankiewicz is like, dude, you, you lie all the time. <laughs> You're lying right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, like you, know, you, you hold your whole thing of living a secret identity as Clark Kent is a, the biggest lie of all time. Yeah, yeah. So, but I heard somebody once uh, once say that it's uh, Superman's critique on humanity, mm-hmm. right? The whole idea that's weak, unsure of himself. Like that's that's how Superman as an alien sees sees us as people. But the whole thing of him never learned actually helps in the climax. Yeah, uh, with the whole thing of the two rockets. Because, like, he promises Miss Tessmacher, like, I said I would save your mother first. Like, I'll save you if you save my mom first. And he says, I promise. And, yeah, at least in the whole climax. But, yeah, I like the whole thing of the pink underwear here. <laughs> like, you asked. You asked. Like, like, I said, I asked your vision. And you asked what color my drawers are. I'm looking at your drawers. Pink. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, no superhero in no superhero movie would actually do this now. That's because you can't anymore. Yeah, he's like giving you an entire detail of the history from a planet called Krypton. <laughs> oh, yeah, and also the smoking and the Lois being a bad speller, they also did on Smallville, too, with, the, that, with that Lois. 
Lois was a smoker in that. And a bass boat. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Staying true to the original. Yes, they are. They really did. <laughs> Foreshadowing the series, stay true to the original. <laughs> <laughs> now, I like Pink very much, Lois. I bet you do. This curly, <laughs> this curly Q thing they do with him on yes. his hair, though, it's one of those things that always kind of drove me nuts with Superman. Yeah. But, well, it's kind of like the differentiating thing between him and Clark Kent. Like, I know, but... Yeah, like, put the, put the curl in there. Oh, he's Superman now. Get, get the curl, see? Strain it out. Oh, it was Clark. Yeah. I love the, this line, too, where he's talking about, I'm here to fight for true justice in the American way. And he's like, she's like, gonna end up fighting every elected official in this country. <laughs> yeah, I'll never, I'll never lie. <laughs> You're lying right now. <laughs> Actually, there's an argument to be made that when he's Superman is the only time he's telling the truth. Technically, right? Because the rest of the time yeah. he's lying. You want to go through? You want to go through the whole Clint, Quint Tarantino diatribe about Superman? <laughs> huh? I mean, we can go through it till we get to, to the next batch. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, most of this is basically going to be googly eyes and flying, and, and flying. Yeah, but yeah, the whole diatribe. For, for those of you who never watched Kill Bill Volume Two, there's a whole little scene where Quint uh, Tarantino in Bill's character does a whole little thing, a little discussion about Superman. How he's unique among superheroes, where he, you know, everybody else has to put on a costume. You know, Peter Parker becomes Spider-Man, you know, Bruce Wayne becomes Batman, whereas Superman is different. When he wakes up in the morning, he's born Superman. When he was born, he was Superman. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, first thing he sees in the morning is Superman. Clark Kent is the disguise. He said, what are Clark Kent's characteristics? He's weak. He's unsure of himself. He's a coward. Yep. Clark Kent... Is Superman's critique on the entire human race. Yep. That's some deep shit when you think about it, man. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has to put on his costume to hide among us. To be the mild-mannered reporter, yeah. Which is why I'm saying, I think there's a really good argument to be made that, that when he's Superman is the only time he's telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. This is so beautiful here, man. So that I can show you the world moment. Exactly. Definitely. Long before Aladdin did it. Yeah. So, Donner commented, uh, I decided if Superman is a success, they're going to have to do a sequel. If it ain't a success, the cliffhanger ain't going to bring it, uh, isn't going to bring them to see Superman 2. So, I, I think that kind of had an idea. Um as to kind of how he decided to, to work it through there to, to the end of it. Uh, so I just got distracted here with this. You know, actually, I got to say, the way that they that they structured um, these CGI, well, it's not even CGI, it's CGI before CGI. It was basically projection and then them on wires with a fan. I mean, when you figure the way this stuff was going for the 1970s, as far as special effects go, I mean, you got to go back and watch the original Star Wars to really get a true sense of what they accomplished. I mean, even here, like when they swap back and forth between the shots that were done with the Tyler mounts uh, out of a helicopter, beautiful, crystal clear, you end up kind of, when they go back to where you have um, Superman and Lois Lane essentially flying on uh, on a soundstage in front of a projection, it's the only time that it actually kind of, kind of fuzzes out, which isn't necessarily too bad. I mean, I think overall it's... Um, Arguably, I think you could say it's it's probably one of uh, one of the better uses of, of early visual effects. And then, of course, the great mo- romantic moment here is they fly up above the clouds. Nothing but but a nice white fluffy cloud below them. I don't know. I was always 
I was always kind of, uh, well, I've told you a hundred times before, I'm more of a Batman guy. Um, and it's probably because the Superman thing, the flying thing is just a little bit campy to me. Um, especially like the whole arms out in front sort of thing. That having been said, Christopher, Christopher Reeves version, this first version, that's probably the most solid one there is. Um, I, I gotta say, it's like, Campy's not the right word. Cute, maybe? And I guess I never understood this either here, where where they're hanging on by the fingers and somehow, like, his touching her made her strong enough that she could be flying with her arms outstretched next to him. And then him letting go of her, that suddenly is what made her fall. Like, how he wasn't just ripping her arm out of socket that whole flight is totally beyond me. But... I, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe I'm just a little bit too much of a literalist when it when it comes to some of these bits and pieces here. I mean, I will say they did a fantastic job with the uh, with the lighting and with uh, the fan work to make sure they're always staying clear as to kind of how it's supposed to be put together. Well, I don't know. That's just that's just my two cents on it. Um, yeah, man. I don't know this this. It wasn't quite like the romance was tacked on, but I felt like this scene, at least by like more modern standards, kind of went just a little bit too long for me. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm probably... That's just it's me being Batman only. I'm too Batman-centric, I guess, in the DC universe. Even though, even though I love Tom and I love this film... I think this. I think this is going to be that next scene. That <laughs> this next scene I want to tell you about with uh, with what happened in New York when they were shooting this film. Um, a few people might have heard about. Uh, was it the '77 or the '76 uh, New York blackout or '78 New York blackout, which was uh, I mean pretty famous. I don't know. I, I know. I don't remember what they said the actual reason why was, but the whole city of New York went dark, and. Uh, there's a moment here that these guys were shooting um, a scene that I think it's this next scene here coming up that when they were shooting when the blackout actually happened. Um, and so I guess what actually happened was they, they were lighting. It was a street scene. They're out on the, seat, the, the city street. I think it's about to come up here in just a second. And uh, they decided they needed um, one more light or at least the, the gaffer said, hey, I think we need one more light right over here. And so the best boy electric went and, uh, and found a way to tap into the street light that was out there on the street to, to pull some extra power so they could set up this light. And he opened up the casing and the moment he plugged in the light, the New York blackout occurred. So the whole city, the whole place instantly goes black at the moment he plugs in. And I guess for like the last... Well, however long, I don't know, was it 35, 40 years at this point? Every time anyone who's involved in that show sees the electric, they always always give him a hard time about how he was responsible for causing the New York blackout. <laughs> now, of course, there's no way he was, but it was just one of those kind of funny, weird happenstance things. Plug, boom, dead, the whole place. Now, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> no, I got distracted there for it's a second. Cool. It's cool, man. 
And this is the first time she actually said Superman, an hour plus into the movie. I mean, at least they weren't on the nose. Yeah. Uh, did you talk about the Marie McGovern version? Okay. No, no, I, I didn't. He, he just stepped away for a second. No, I was just talking about the blackout. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, for those of you, uh, the Can You Read My Mind, Get Down, there's actually a pop song that was created for the movie, but it's only released in Canada. <laughs> By uh, Marie McGovern, who was uh, famous for the theme from uh, the Poseidon Adventure. That's got to be the morning after. That shit. She, yeah, so she does the whole read my mind narration that Margot Kittle does. as a pop song. Can you read my mind? Do you know what it is you do to me? <laughs> I love this moment here where he's like, stands up straight, where he's like alone. And he looks at the glasses like... I should just tell him, man. Why do I keep, why do I keep, like, he's like, wow. Well, even just her, like, fickle reaction to him when he shows up at the door, yeah. it's Clark Kent. It's like flipping a switch. She doesn't like him anymore. He flips a switch again, back to Clark. Real quick. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Like, it's, it's such a great acting performance. I think this is his best acting scene in the movie. Just yeah, that one little arguably. thing. Arguably. Arguably, yeah. Because it's just the one little thing. He switches between two people. Yeah. Yeah. I spent the night with Superman. Exclusive interview by Lois Lane. <laughs> In most incarnations of Superman, Lois Lane is usually the one who gets the first interview with Superman. Except for the uh, 86 uh, John Byrne run in the comic books. Clark Kent is the one that gets it. And yeah. that's what gets him the job at the Day of the Planet. Because <laughs> he got the first interview with Superman. And you show and shows Lois like after first meeting Superman, like trying to get, basically trying to endanger herself just to get his attention, or like try, uh, like just catching him after like scenes of super feats or whatever, and he just ignore her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think one one she she went one step a little too drastic where she actually got into a car and drove it off a fucking uh, bridge. Uh, Superman saved her, but he knew she was gonna be alright because she get, he get X ray vision to a car and saw she had a fucking aqua lung in her. So just in case some shit didn't happen, she had a fucking air tank in there. I love this theory. I'm like, M? M is the woo <laughs> With the ladder. Uh, M as a moron? No, no, no. That's N. N is a Neanderthal. Nincompoop. Nitwit. And L is a ladder. And this, and also this scientific explanation here. Like, this is, why, like, this is another reason why modern superheroes would not give a fucking interview like Superman did. Because he pretty much, Lex Luthor now has all the information he wants to know about Superman from the goddamn interview. My favorite thing about Lex in this incarnation is the suits, man. Yeah, and all the different the styles of hair. leisure suits. Yeah, he's really, ha- like, he's like the hammiest thing in the movie. Well, and, and we just need to do a brief note right here for our younger listeners. Mm-hmm. So, right now, Gene Hackman is in what used to be known as a library. And in the 70s, when you wanted information, you had to go to a library and find the correct book and hope that somebody hadn't taken it out already. And then go through that book and read it to find the information you need. Because back then, a computer was something roughly the size of a school Mm -hmm. that would calculate about half to a quarter of what your phone does. Oh, my God, man. (laughs) Uh, well, libraries still do exist, but you only find <laughs> but you only you only find homeless people in them, which is sad. Yeah, I think the the only there's a handful of like great research libraries, like the mm-hmm. Library of Congress, uh, mm-hmm. the one at Harvard, a couple like that mm-hmm. that like are legit and they have really rare, weird stuff mm-hmm. you can't find anywhere. But like your city library, yeah, homeless. 
I love how he comes up with this theory that turns out to be right, where he's like a, a meteorite, like the the whole planet Krypton exploding, or naturally there would be you know meteors and debris in the universe that you know would probably drift to Earth, and then they have this one little thing of a fucking brother finding a green as <laughs> green rock in Addis Ababa, Africa, uh, well Ethiopia, pretty much, uh, and like. Him coming up with the theory that the specific level of radiation is so high that to anybody from Krypton, this substance is lethal. Oh, so five bullets can't hurt this guy, but this stuff here will kill him. Oh. <laughs> they should do that. He's a genius. You're, you are a genius. This yeah. is basically that great moment. And, it, and, right, and right here, like, 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 again, the interview comes to bite him in the ass. It's like, uh, well, he can see it from miles away. Uh, they gave him eyes, but they cannot see. But no, can't Superman through lead. She points out he said in the interview that he can't see through fucking lead. Why would you say that weakness in a fucking interview? Because we only have two hours to do a movie. I'm just saying, and you need that information because I'm we just already saying. we already did Smallville and we already did Krypton. Yeah, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Goddamn, man, this is real weird. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Did you talk about the on-screen tension? No, I didn't get to that. Okay. I, I was just I was mostly talking about mm-hmm. some of the CGI well not CGI but the special effects stuff they were doing with the projection yeah. of the screen Okay. and then I was telling that killer story about the grip that blacked out New York they thought, they thought he thought that he flipped out New York yeah uh, but now we got the scene here where uh, Lex hijacks some uh, missiles yep yeah <laughs> and the best way to do that is to flip a radio controlled car yeah this is a very convoluted plot <laughs> I like the curly hair wig there yeah me too and of course, you the Ned Beatty always eating or drinking something. Of course, the most bumbling motherfucker. You actually put him in charge, and Valerie Perrine just happens to be in the middle of the road. <laughs> well, they weren't going to stop without Valerie being there. Exactly. Hell no. That's the National Guard. <laughs> actually, funny enough, I feel they use the Lex Luthor theme more with Otis than they do Lex Luthor. Well, it might be more the Otis theme then. Kind of sort of, but they use it again in other movies without Otis. Hmm. You know, Larry Hagman from who will eventually go on to do Dallas. <laughs> J.R. Ewing, you know, we got to give a. We, you know, everybody wants to get in on that. Like, give her mouth to mouth. Look, we, first we got to do uh, chest compressions and uh, <laughs> give her mouth to mouth. Yes, sir. And, like, and uh, he got volunteers and services and tells everybody to turn around. There's your comedy moment right there. <laughs> and of course, you get the dumbest motherfucker possible to fucking uh, redo missile coordinates. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it on my arm. I, 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 <laughs> so fucking stupid. <laughs> and Lex and uh, all this elaborate shit. <laughs> this Lex. Yeah. Oh man! Hi. Somebody hurt? <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Otis in this you know damn overalls, overalls. Yeah, damn. and the Hawaiian the Hawaiian floral print. He looks like Chunk from fucking uh, the Goonies. Yeah, a little bit <laughs> with, the, with the red shirt and all that. Yeah, I did it. He's so excited for himself. I did it. I did it. Just well, before. honestly, I mean, this partly might have influenced Dick Donner and went on to do Goonies. Oh, that's true. Like, oh yeah, I love this. Uh, hey, uh, Otis, not that I don't trust you or nothing. Um, I, I don't trust it. What did you do? <laughs> I, I, I did the first directional vector. He learned. He learned that word. Directional vector. <laughs> to forty-eight. And uh, what about the fourth one? 
Oh, fourth one. Otis. The third was supposed to be 11, and the fourth one, seven. Oh, I guess my arm wasn't long. You want to see a long arm? <laughs> I, love, I love how she gets excited about it. Look. Yeah, she, she's super excited about yeah, it. Yeah, well, like, the more he threatens her, you want to see a, yeah. Look, you want to see a long arm, Otis? Like, she, she's shaking her head, yeah, she's excited. <laughs> you want to see a really long arm, Otis? Motherfucker, forget he's driving. <laughs> yes, yeah, drive. Yeah. Oh man, and that goes to another thing with him. Like, what is he? Like, where is he getting all these vehicles? And how do you do it that quick to get out in front of them? Exactly. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's supposed to be two different. It's supposed to be two different things. Oh, it's two different missiles. It's two different missiles. Yeah, because oh, okay. he has the two missiles. Two different missiles. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> but where does he get all these damn vehicles? You got well, an ambulance on one, and now he has a... Uh, it's not that hard to steal. A semi-truck with a house on it. If you're a genius, it's not too hard to steal. So one missile from the Army, and the other missile from the Navy. Okay. Well, that way both of you get in trouble. And Valerie Perrine has mountaineering skills in that skimpy-ass dress. Apparently. <laughs> I love... Oh, 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 got a black eye now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the shit. You're doing a lot in that damn dress. Eve. <laughs> oh, that's our first name, Eve. It's Eve Tessmacher. Man, those those helmets those guys were wearing. Oh my god. Oh yeah, then, oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah, then Lex insults the fucking officer. He gets the officer gives him shit about it. <laughs> Man, these guards suck because they just let a chick go in there and fucking <laughs> to change. They all suck. Yeah, they do to change the fucking vectors of a fucking nuclear missile. Oh my god. Which I'm pretty sure they don't actually change there, but whatever. Yeah, well, that's for. I, 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 I know, I know, Oh man, this is this is super old. So again, for our younger uh, viewers oh. and listeners, <laughs> you Dam. used to be able to drive across the top of the Hoover Dam. Oh yeah, that's right. Post 911, they oh, forced yeah. them to build a bridge because oh. you're not allowed to drive on dams anymore. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then the whole thing with the Indian talking about uh, there's another plot point here that apparently somebody's lined up. Miles and miles of worthless desert land. I wonder who it is. I wonder why. I love the Indian. The Indian joke. Considering all this worthless dirt, I hope it's Custer. That's <laughs> <laughs> what a dude on TV looks like, Jack Webb. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. This dude in the bow tie. This dude keeps showing up. He has no lines, but he just keeps showing up. Yeah, he was the best extra in the group. He showed up on time. He stayed in his oh, area. Apparently. Oh, yeah. He never went to, to crew crafty. Some, some more disrespect of Clark. Like, you're in the way, Clark. <laughs> Got the way, Clark. They <laughs> <laughs> just keep disrespecting fucking Clark, man. Fuck all y'all, man. I'll be, all y'all would be dead because of me. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, back when you used to be able to smoke a cigar in your office. <laughs> oh, you know what's even weirder? He got a picture of Gandhi on his wall. But in Superman 2, here's a picture of Bill Cosby. Same yeah, place. But I mean, in, in his defense, nobody knew what was going on with Bill Cosby. <laughs> 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 I mean, it took a little while. I think it would have kept Gandhi up if you didn't know him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in the same place. <laughs> you go from Gandhi to fucking Bill Cosby. <laughs> I mean, look, if I'm just saying, if I were in his position back then, I probably would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, yeah, this, 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 actually, no. By then, I probably would have had prior to be honest. Yeah, yeah. this, this uh, speech here is so weird. Like, he just gives, just chastises him, like, yeah, like you need guts, attitude, like, uh, and something you sort of lacking, son. 
Uh, humility? No, no, not humility. You got bags of humility. <laughs> oh, you're sitting here with the fucking dogs and, yeah. This frequency that only dogs can hear. Redone again in several other projects. Yeah. With Lex Luthor giving some sort of ultimatum. It's Lex Luthor. Only one vo- only one thing with less than four legs can hear this, and it's you. <laughs> I'm going to release a gas pedal that's going to kill millions of people in the city just to get your attention. But yeah, Lex Luthor, man, is going through many different changes. This this version... This, will, well, I have to mm, say real yeah. quick before we move on. Yes. As far as a trope, yeah. this is fantastic. I don't know how many times I've seen this done before, but this is this was a brilliant idea. With uh, Superman going out the window or No, with him, with him, with Lex Luthor talking to Superman. In a frequency, in a frequency that only he can hear that's broadcast for the entire city because he doesn't know where to find him. Exactly. But he just assumes he must have this super hearing capability. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. He just, really, yeah, yeah. He just assumed that. It's a really cool and unique thing. Yeah. This is cool here. Like, this no, is cool and, because, yeah, nobody gives And nobody, shit. really, nobody really gives a fuck about Clark. Like, Clark is really ending his life right now and nobody gives a shit. Yeah. But thankfully, he's Superman, and then this quick change here, which <laughs> is, yeah, the quick change that really gives no explanation, is kind of like magic. But yeah, funny. close enough. This is a great shot too. Seventies. So, well, then they've had a, had one or two going past the uh, past the World Trade. Center. I love that. I love, you look at the bus, all the white folks are like, "Oh my God, Superman, black dude!" No, fuck it. <laughs> and all the girls yeah. fly by like, "Oh my God, Superman, Superman." <laughs> and I don't understand why he goes around this building. I don't <laughs> because it's a cool shot. I don't get it. He's doing. A, oh, oh, he's, he's supposed to be sur- he's supposed to be surveying the city, but like, just he just went around that one building. Damn, it looked cool. It does look cool. It still looks cool. And he stops here in the middle of the street. Everybody's like Superman. Oh my god! He just like a fucking spins like a top. <laughs> Right through the manhole. Even his, any, even his, uh, I was about to say, even his cape cuts through the man. <laughs> oh, yeah. And in, in the special edition, this scene here has, like, extra shit where, like, Alex Luthor's putting him through, like, traps. But this is cool, though. Yeah. Man, man. <laughs> Condemned. Boom. Stretching that goddamn metal door. No, oh, she might want to get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> Now we get our first meeting between Superman and Lex Luthor. Only two hours in. <laughs> Only two hours in, yeah. I don't give a fuck. This is great. Uh, oh, just get the gentleman's cape. But don't come near me. <laughs> Look, he gives him. Don't come near me, motherfucker. I don't think he wants me to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this looks changed. Yeah, they just had. Was, was Otis in the comic books? No. So this was a this was a Mankiewicz creation. Yeah, he was, he's a Mankiewicz creation. He, they put him in the comic books later. I love this line here. Like, so that's how you get your kicks by planning the death of innocent people. No, by causing the death of innocent people. That's a dope ass line. Hmm. And very few Lexes have really matched that. Like just that one simple line. Like like planning the death of innocent people. No, causing the death. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, but I, I was going back to the history of Lex. Like, uh, Lex actually uh, debuted, I think, in 1941. Uh, he had red hair, and it was kind of like this, like almost a dictator. Hmm. It was weird. Like, he wasn't a scientist or nothing like that. He was just some dude that wanted two countries to war against each other. 
And then they brought him back. And actually, funny enough... Sort, he, sort of like Marriott, Professor Moriarty? Kind of, sort of. Well, actually, they made him more like that uh, after his second appearance because they made him bald. The thing about mm-hmm. it was... They, the thing about it was Superman had another bald supervillain at the time called the Ultra Humanite, mm. uh, who was bald. But apparently the artist got the two mixed up and made Lex bald. So, and that's been pretty much been his look ever since. Uh, and now Lex Luthor giving his plot about the whole, you know... Which was kind of required in the 70s. Yeah, the bad guy had to explain his plot. Like, yeah, like, look at all the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Like all the all this is the most populous uh, like land in the world: Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco. Everything else around here is worthless desert land, which just happens to be owned by Lex Luthor Incorporated. <laughs> you can call me what foolish, call me irresponsible, but it occurs to me that if a 500 megaton bomb <laughs> placed at the proper point on a San Andreas fault would uh, would destroy most of Southern California, millions of innocent people would be killed. An entire West Coast, as we know it, would fall into the fucking sea. They redid this plot, this particular plot on uh, Supergirl on the CW. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lexington? Marina Lex. Oldest bird. Lutherville? <laughs> Tess Marker Peaks. <laughs> it's up there. Uh, oh, I, think, I, think, I think you'll see it again when uh, he goes down to wipe it. See? Test Marker Peaks. Otisburg? Yeah, Otisburg. <laughs> he, he gets so pissed off at Otisburg. Otisburg? Otisburg. Okay, you know what? I should wipe it off. I should wipe it off. <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, for most most of Lex's history has basically been the mad scientist rogue, mad scientist kind yeah. of guy. But we talked about this uh, in our Captain Marvel podcast where uh, Dr. Savannah, Captain Marvel's arch enemy, came first and kind of did the mad scientist thing, bald mad scientist thing. First, mm. they kind of adapted that to Lex Luthor, and that was pretty much his get down through most of his history, where he's like just the rogue mad scientist. I'm a genius. They need to respect my genius, and I have to destroy Superman. And pretty much, that basically be his whole plot in most of the stories. Whatever. It wasn't until the '80s that they changed up the interpretation of Lex, where he became a Donald Trump like businessman, thanks to Mar- writer Marv Wolfman, mm. and the, and again in the 1986 John Byrne. Uh, which is a great like if you ever get a chance you can can almost argue though even though he's kind of got the scientific thing going here he still is like the evil rogue millionaire guy because his whole plan is based on turning around and making himself a bunch of money it's a real estate swindle right yeah the whole thing exactly and he actually has the little company Lex Luthor Incorporated but eventually in the comic books he would get his own legit company Lex Corp well, then by the time you got to the one, well, then they had, was Jesse Eisenberg playing Luther? Yeah. By that point, then he's yeah. just a tech billionaire, you know. Yeah, Mark yeah. Zuckerberg type. Well, kind of Google, yeah. 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 yeah fuck, fuck that. I'm sorry, I don't like that interpretation. I like that. I like this one best. Well, yeah. And I was saying before, I mean, I'm not the world's biggest, yeah. like, Superman aficionado, yeah. but. Uh, my personal favorite interpretation of the Lex are Clancy Brown on Superman animated series. His voice is great. The Kurgan. Yeah. The Kurgan is a fucking dope Lex Luthor. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the other one live action would be John Shea on Lois and Clark. He was a great Lex Luthor. I never very, watched Lois and very, Clark. Very underrated. He, was, he had the... Uh, he, I think he was the first live action depiction of the evil billionaire. But yeah, I love this here. <laughs> Lex. <laughs> He's so, he could so easily kill Lex. But that's yeah. really the whole get down. Lex Luthor, you know, plays with his morality and plays with his mind and shit. 
Get the lead box, you diseased maniac. Mm-hmm. You think you can hide from me by kissing in the lead? I'll mold this box into your prison bars. He warns them, don't touch it. Yeah. <laughs> Boom, kryptonite. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> it's kryptonite, Superman. Still souvenir from the old hometown. I spared no expense to make you feel right at home. Now, he is really more sinister than people give him credit for. Oh, yeah. This little speech here. You're, yeah, you were great in your day, Superman, but it just stands to reason. When it came time for you to cash in your chips, this old diseased maniac <laughs> will be your banker. And yeah, most interpretations of Lex have some sort of kryptonite weapon. That's kind of his bread and butter is a kryptonite weapon. Well, it's because it's the only thing you can really do against Superman. The, the only other person who had anything, and he still had to use it, was Batman versus Superman. True. And he still had to use kryptonite, but it was... Kryptonite slash is genius. Exactly. Same thing with Lex, yeah. And like, uh, they have to trick him into it. Yeah, and like in the seventies and eighties, he would have like a, a red, uh, no, it's like a purple and green battle suit that he would fight Superman in, and it would use usually shoot like Kryptonite beams and shit like that, kind of like an Iron Man type suit. Yeah. And uh, in the John Byrne run again, he had a Kryptonite ring that he would always wear. He would be in his office doing nefarious shit. Superman would confront him about something. He would always had a goddamn ring. He's like, okay. You can lie on staff if you want to. <laughs> it's not going to go good for you. <laughs> but that came back to bite him in the ass. Because in the same run, oh yeah, this, I like this little moment here where like, uh, he mentions the, the, the other Rockets going to Hackensack, New Jersey. And Ms. Tessmacher mentions my mom lives in Hackensack. He's like, not anymore. <laughs> you give a fuck less about your mama. Sorry. Ms. Tessmacher! Yeah, we didn't mention that yet. How do he just screams at <laughs> poor, uh, poor she's, gangster. She's in a she's in a an abusive relationship. Toxic relationship. Do we call it toxic? Yeah, now? toxic. Yeah. He's toxic. Now. He's toxic masculinity of Lex Luthor. Well, yeah. When Superman, uh, you know, despite the fact you know he's trying to actually break this goddamn thing, was literally. Even li- just I, I'm about to say, even though he could literally just lift the fucking chain off his neck and then go, but he wants to try to break it, which makes no sense. But you know, come say, come say. <laughs> this makes no sense. I'm sorry. And yeah, Miss Tess Marker, you know, takes a little opportunity. Come on, you know. Can you save my mom? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's basically what it is. Can you save my mom? If I help you, will you save my mom? Yeah, exactly. Exactly what it is. Because Otis is an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is. I'm just an idiot, so save my mom. Don't so he, tell anybody. He pointed the other one towards fucking hacking sack. This is where my mom lives, okay? Well, what's even, like, they've had all this time. Why did she move her mom before this? So silly. And then, uh, again, another Depre- double jeopardy scene where Superman has to save, like... One or the other. One or the other. Like, you know, either one let this one missile blow up this one place or let this one missile blow up the other place. Well, then, it was, it was, wasn't it Superman 2 where he turns the Earth backwards? No, it's this one. Was oh, it this one? It's supposed to be Superman too. Oh, that's right. That's what it was. Yeah, it's supposed to be. I Superman. can't. I always get. It, I always get it mixed up because I because mm-hmm. the way they they were going to split it and they shoved it into this one. Actually, we're going to get into that a little bit. Well, I, uh, I already yeah. read the quote when he was talking about whether or not to leave it as a cliffhanger. Yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about the tensions with the with the with the Salkins and Donner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Mr. Uh, Richard Donner, of course, has some issues with the Salkins themselves. They were. Really uh, concerned about the escalating production budget and the student schedule of this movie, despite the fact it's a huge movie as it is, and he's shooting two of them at the same time. They were concerned about that. So, Mr. Mankiewicz, another quote from uh, Mankiewicz, um, 
Donner never got a budget or a schedule. He was constantly told he was way over budget and way over schedule. At one point, he said, why don't you just schedule the film for the next two days and then I'll be nine months over. (laughs) Which I like. And then, of course, they brought in uh, Richard Lester, uh, sort of like a temporary co-producer to kind of mediate the relationship between the Salkinds and Donner. And uh, so they would basically go through uh, Richard Lester. And and at one point, he talks, uh, Richard Donner talked about his uh, relationship with uh, Pierre Spangler, who was with the Salkinds. At one point, he said, at one time, if I had seen him, I would have killed him. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lester was offered producing credit, but he re- uh, refused. Uh, so, he goes uncredited for his work initially. Uh, the Saw kind of felt that bringing a second director on set was uh, would meant that, you know, somebody would be ready in the event that Dave Donner could not fulfill his directing duties. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Saul kind of said being there all the time meant that uh, Richard Lester could take over. Donner uh, couldn't make his mind up on stuff. Uh, and then uh, Donner said, uh, been, uh, basically he'd been suing the Saul Kines for his money on the Three Musketeers, which he had never gotten. Uh, Lester won a lot of uh, lawsuits, but each time he sued the Saul Kines in one country, they moved to another one. <laughs> From Costa Rica to Panama to Switzerland. When I was hired, Lester told me, don't do it, don't work for them. Uh, I was told not to, but I did it anyway. Hmm. Now, I'm, uh, now I'm telling you not to. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and you'll probably do it and end up telling the next guy. So Lester yeah, acted as a go-between. He didn't trust Lester either, obviously. Uh, and apparently he said, believe me, I'm only doing this because they're paying me the money they owe me from a lawsuit. I'll never come on your set unless you ask me to. I'll never t- I'll never go to your dailies. If, you, uh, if I can help you in any way, call me. Of course, he would take over. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, and like I said, uh, they were shooting these two movies at the same time, uh, Superman and Superman 2. And actually, Richard Donner had already did 75% of Superman 2. Yep. Um, but, uh, so, so basically, they, they're doing this, they actually took a risk. If Superman was a bomb, the first one here was a bomb, they couldn't be able to finish Superman 2. So they basically took the original climax from Superman 2 and put it onto this movie. Uh, so the whole thing, spending back time, is actually supposed to be for Superman too. Yeah. Well, what's crazy too about the way this scene broke down? I mean, you can you can argue there's a potential positive outcome if you're doing something this big mm-hmm. to shoot both of them back to back because then you don't have to worry about cast coming back around and renegotiating for more money and all that other stuff. Yeah. But like you said, the risk on the upfront is huge. Yes, it is. Uh, and actually, this song here, "Giving It a Bit of My Life," they've actually yeah. they've, they've, they've Brought this song back for several other Superman in- incarnations. I don't know. It's just certain songs from this movie that uh, tend to become associated with Superman. But, yeah, Superman saves one, but the other one went off. Yeah. And now it hit the San Andreas fault. Poor Jimmy Olsen, that goddamn uh, Hoover Dam. And I like yeah, this. Apparently it made <laughs> San Andreas do just like he, he and, thought it would. Exactly. And Superman goes into the actual San Andreas fault. With all this uh, lava, supposed to be basically like, and I think they put like tin foil and lights and shit. That's put it what it was. Yeah. And Superman lifting the entire San Andreas fault as Superman can. Well, of course he's Superman. Of course he's Superman. <laughs> I love how she's driving away like she just blew up the gas station. And yeah, like, action did I, yeah, did she did this? She had a Steve Urkel moment. Did yeah. I do that? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, all the wires and shit, yeah, the earth, and, and this massive ass earthquake. Yeah. Uh, well, there's no reason for her to keep driving. She could literally just stop. stop. Yeah. 
should probably be okay where she's at. <laughs> I love how we just okay. like I love how we just point out the logistical <laughs> issues of this movie. But we do that for every movie. True, but still this one in particular though. Uh, yeah, and train like all these different disasters that Superman is gonna have to you know abate somehow. Yeah, somehow. Avert. Yeah, the bus going, uh, the bus going over the fucking Golden Gate Bridge, the train with the people on it. That's a great shot though. Yeah, and of course Jimmy at goddamn Hoover at uh, what Hoover Dam or whatever. Oh man, where <laughs> she just dropped off and then drove into California for no reason. Yeah, pretty much. Oh yeah, we didn't mention the other people. They actually wanted a couple other people for uh, Perry White. I didn't really mention that. Uh, Ed Asner, Walter Matthau, Jason Robards, Lawrence Turney, and uh, Eli Willock. Willich, I think it is. Yeah. Dude from uh, Good, Bad, and Ugly. Yeah. They wanted him for Perry White. Um, so That'd they, been interesting. The first person, <coughs> excuse me, the first person I actually offered it to was uh, Jack Klugman. Hmm. He turned it down the last minute. Then Eddie Albert also agreed to do it, but he wanted more money. And then, uh, right right before that, in a frantic search, they actually uh, had uh, Keenan Wynn hmm. as um, <clears throat> Perry White. But right before, the night before he was actually supposed to come in and film, he got rushed to the hospital. <clears throat> what happened? Chest pains. Uh, and he collapsed from extreme, <clears throat> excuse me, extreme exhaustion. Now we got Superman saving the bus with the kids in it. After lifting up the San Andreas Fault by himself. Yeah. He should have. He should have put some girders or something in down there for a long time. And I, like, I love. I love. I love this shot here with the train. The, the fault takes out part. Takes out part of the train track, and Superman has to fucking use himself as the train track. Yeah, oh, man, it's so fucking. It looks so good though. Yeah. Yeah. Superman goes in there. <laughs> this is so cool. Man. Yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> And then, the long, and then they see the long shot, and then you know, these, just a little thing of cape. That's all you need is some blue in the cape. Yep. Yeah. That is so cool. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's anything else here for Christopher Reeve. Yeah, Christopher Reeve was basically an unknown at the time, so um, he wasn't featured really in any of the trailers in terms of like his name. He was, like, of course, third billing after uh, Brando and Hackman, yep. even though he's the star. Uh, you know, poor Jimmy Olsen. Like go, Jimmy. Like go. Yeah. I like, I like, like, <laughs> like, every time we watch a Superman-related TV show or a movie or a cartoon, we should have a drinking game as, as to how many times Jimmy or Lois would be dead if it wasn't like a Superman. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I don't think I can drink like that anymore. Dude, my God. It's so often. It like, it's so often and so random. before the end of the first act. How you motherfuckers have no sense of self-preservation, especially Lois, like, I'm like, I just constantly put yourself yeah, in the worst. I have positions. to get uh, Joy, Jimmy's even worse because like you're not even a reporter, dog. You just take pictures. Well, and there was no reason for him to be on the dam, let alone to yeah. walk up to the edge while everything's right. Oh, let me even walk over here. Yeah, his fingers are slipping. This off is the a one, disaster. Of the one little girder here. Yeah, the yeah. one piece of rebar. Yeah, and like I said, uh, Mark McClure himself, Jimmy Olsen, would make a lot of cameos in Superman-related materials after this movie. Like I say, he was the only one from the original movies in Supergirl, the other South Carolina's yeah. super production, which was a huge failure. Uh, he was also in uh, Smallville. He played uh, the dude that created Brainiac, the uh, Superman villain. Mm. And, uh, and most recently, he was actually in Justice League. Uh, there's a scene where As they... As himself? No, he, Jimmy? No, he, there's a scene where he resurrects, uh, where, the, where the Justice League resurrects Superman. 
and like, like his body's like in some park, some memorial park or whatever. And when they when they um when they have the fight or whatever, he's one of the cops there. Ah, okay. Yeah, so yeah, Marvin Clore still doing it. And uh, of course, did she fell for. I guess she didn't fall for. No, that. no, she didn't because the fucking thing blew up. That's mm-hmm. right. She was honking her horn because she didn't know how to... Oh, yeah, nobody was there. That's right. That's right. Nobody was there. She kept, she kept up her own gas. <laughs> oh, 70s. Uh, this, Come on, female empowerment. You yeah, this shit here. I man. believe in you, Lois. Oh, damn. Cracking the road and kill Lois. At least temporarily. This is fucked up way to go, man. Yeah, but it reminds me... What was that what Was that movie in the 70s? The earthquake movie? Earthquake? Is that what it was called? <laughs> I don't remember, dude. You know the one I'm talking about, though, right? Where, like, literally this exact same fucking thing happened. Earthquake. <laughs> okay, fine. Earthquake. I don't remember what it's that was called. The name of the movie. Earthquake. I couldn't believe that that's what it would be called. It's such an on-the-nose thing. Earthquake. Yeah, right. Earthquake. You got it. <laughs> that's a great line for this fucking podcast, bro. Earthquake. What's the name of that earthquake movie? <laughs> earthquake. How about, what's the name of that Superman movie? Superman. How about that? <laughs> Oh man! Oh, this is a great shot too. Look, look at this! All these like miniatures, man. This is like this yeah. is all Derek Mettings, man. Oh yeah. Well, t- the, the the most heartbreaking part about it is you spend all that time building them, then they just fuck them up. Yeah, but it, like when they you should actually see the final result in film, it looks fantastic. Yeah. And Superman breaking up these boulders to stop this rushing water. Yeah. Yeah, that's obviously a miniature, but still. Looks great. No, they did a good job. I mean, great. especially for miniature work. And then they slow the shit down and make it give it more, you know, gravity. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, there's still that water coming, man. Yeah, you definitely see that bond, that little bond influence in this movie, man. Yeah. And Tom worked on bonds, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, his first one was Diamonds Are Forever, if I'm not mistaken. I know he wrote. I just can't remember if that was his first one or not. Yeah, because I think it was last. It's Sean Connery's last one, right? Yeah. Yes, it was right. Oh, yeah, man. I think I'm trying to remember. Tom wrote at least two, I think three. Oh, I mean, yeah, and actually, I, I agree with you. I think he did three. I think he did those three in succession. I think he did uh, yeah. Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, yeah. and I know he did The Man with the Golden Gun. Cause yeah, a, cause that a, sounds right. I think he did all three of those. A, I remember a specific line he had from that movie. It was like, uh, with him and, oh, yeah, it was Bond the Scary Monger having a confrontation. And like, uh, Bond's like, it's a useful four letter word, and you're full of it. <laughs> That's the Tom Mankiewicz line. I remember, cause I remember, I, re- I remember seeing the fucking the behind the scenes like, yeah, this is Tom Mankiewicz line. Oh, uh, yeah. And now he hears Lois, but unfortunately, it's too late, it's too late brother. Damn, that looks good. That looks good, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looks kind of like that, uh, like what I told you about the Captain Marvel serial where they had the the, the dummy on the wires and it just, yeah, you know, like it looked like that. But, like, yeah, this is 70s, and they have way better special effects. Yeah. Well, they've got even better now. Way better now. But, like, even, like, from that to that, that's extraordinarily. But, yeah, poor Lois, man. Shit. <laughs> if she'd have quit driving way back. <laughs> before she turned on If the she dirt just stayed still. If she just would have stayed still, she'd probably still be alive. Stop, drop, and roll, okay? Yeah, that's a horrible way to go, <laughs> And Superman, uh-oh. Superman's too late. No! no. <laughs> the all is lost moment. 
Not quite. He didn't really say no. He's not a Darth Vader. No, he didn't do that shit. But he said it. With but he his does. Eyes. But he does. The, <laughs> does have a similar thing. He said it with his eyes. With his emotional eyes. He does that shit. <laughs> I'll do it. I do. It. I'll do it full on when he comes on. But yeah, yeah. Lois is dead, man. This is a this is a bold stroke too. Kill Lois. This is bold, man. Even for the time, it was bold. There's no way they do it now. Yeah, no, they wouldn't do it, man. Damn, man. Too late, buddy. Sorry. Sucks. <sighs> yeah. It said it was a nice white suit, too. It was. <laughs> yeah, it was. I said, well, yeah, I agree. It was. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, what do you want to talk about? This principal photography for the movie actually started on uh, March 28, 1977 in Pinewood with the Krypton scenes. Mm. And basically lasted for 19 months until October 1978. And that includes both movies. Yeah. Uh, they had, I think they had like maybe a little break between the two movies, but then they kept going. Uh, as far as like the music goes with uh, John Williams, originally it was supposed to be Jerry Goldsmith. To do the score, because uh, oh, really? him and Donna were together on the Omen. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, but funny enough, Jerry Goldsmith would do a Superman, oh, well, a Superperson score later for Supergirl. He did Supergirl. Yeah, Jerry Goldsmith is, does in the music of Supergirl is really fucking good because Jerry mm-hmm. Goldsmith. The movie sucks, but the music is great. The suit just got whiter. I showed the phone dead. It is much whiter. But yeah, okay, now, now he don't have his emotional moment. I love this moment because... <laughs> but he still has a crow going. Which <laughs> now I'm going to turn back time. I got to save him. But then you get a vision of Joe Rell. Can't do that. Mm-mm. My son. Don't do what you're going to do. It is forbidden for you to interfere with human history. And he's getting conflicting messages from his fathers. Dad's like, one thing I do know, son, is that you're here for a reason. But then he remembers again that he couldn't save his dad. He got the power to save him. Fuck, I'm going to save him. Yeah. yeah. And he flies off. Screw you, dad. You sent me away. Yeah. I love you, other dad. And now he does the <laughs> most illogical thing in the movie. Literally spins around the earth to turn back time. I don't know that that would work, but I don't think it would work. I'm pretty pretty sure. Well, it was great, though. It does look pretty good for her. Stand still. (laughs) It starts going backwards. And that somehow. Well, that literally would have to mean that he's got an insane amount of gravity in himself personally. And that reverses time. Or whether, but well, here's the thing though. Earth, oh my god! I got nothing. I was gonna try. No, to no, no, I'm trying to explain it. Man. I got Come nothing. On. Oh, please don't. There's nothing there. It's too good. <laughs> okay, all right. I got it back now. Put now it back. We gotta go. Get go, to go back, back through regular way. Let's fix it. Go back. Restart. He's crying the whole time. Okay, let's see if this worked. Now nah, this works. So yeah, they never. This is kind of a plow hole here. So did he fix everything? Did he stop everything, or what? Or did everything still happen? Because the Tired trouble. Because technically, the earthquake would still be happening right now. She, yeah. Hi. 
car trouble. <laughs> no, that's the first thing he says. Hi. <laughs> Falling out the window. Hi. <laughs> Don't bother. I think it's dead. I love how she. I love how she gives him shit about it. Like, like, bitch. I just. I legit just turn back time for you. You can give me shit right now. It's just like a damn woman. <laughs> 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 Turn back time for them, they still got something to complain about. But shit, you could still could have stayed in my car. Like, well, okay, you know, fine. But I've been kind of busy for a while. Still a damn good guy, man. She, you know, I can't stay mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> Even she says that, man. No, yeah. you know, let's get some action going here. Yeah, come on. You come cop blocking ass Jimmy. God damn it, Jimmy. You suck, Jimmy. You suck, Jimmy. I should have left your ass on over there. <laughs> and you complaining too? Like, you, of all people, should not be complaining. Yeah. We'll see you later. Now, that's the classic trio right there Clark, Lois, and Superman. Mm-hmm. No, uh, well, I'm sorry. Uh, Jimmy, Lois, and Superman. Yeah. No, I know what you meant. Yeah. I love this little moment here, which is like, wait, where's Clark? That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that, that's the one trope. Actually, they make fun of that shit on uh, Boss and Clark, where fucking uh, there's a time traveling dude, where he like uh, encounters he encounters Clark and Lois, and she at this point doesn't know who Superman is. But then he he wears some glasses, and he's like, uh, like, uh, you sure you don't know me? You sure? <laughs> <laughs> and then she realizes what he means. Like Clark, yeah. Yeah, so Lois Lane goes down in history as like the stupidest woman ever. <laughs> the great reporter who can't figure out the greatest secret is right in the face. <laughs> yeah, he, he gets on her so bad about it, and she like looks so stupid doing the whole thing. Like, yeah, it's true. Oh yeah, now the last scene here in the, in the prison. Drops off Otis and Lex Luthor. Now we get our final shot of ball Lex Luthor, greatest criminal mind of all time. I hereby serve notice of these walls. Just shut up. <laughs> oh, this keeps reading everything you say. <laughs> yeah. What happened to uh, what happened to the chick though? Uh, she escaped. That's one of those ones they never fill in. It's because like, well, they basically let her go since she helped him. I guess. But yeah. Uh, Good night. Later. Well, yeah, okay. This shot. And here. they never even showed the apprehending. It's just four guns, like well, of course you couldn't find him. This is the this is the shot of the Superman movie. Yeah. They recreate this shot in every goddamn Superman movie. Well, it's Superman Earthrise. Project. It's great. But no, this specific shot, they recreated. Most recently, they recreated it on Crisis on Infinite Earths on the CW hmm. with Brandon Ralph doing it. Yeah. I'm, I watch, it looks like he was swimming yeah. there for a second. It's so cool. <laughs> but I, I remember watching a uh, uh, commentary with this with Dick Donnelly. He's like, come on, give us a smile, buddy. There you go. That's my guy. <laughs> yeah, he loved this. He loved that scene, man. Oh, this is killer. Yeah, but yeah, they recreated that, and uh, the Henry Cavill Man of Steel did it. Fucking, um, of course, Superman Returns did it. Uh, they did it on Smallville. They did it on, uh, like I said, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which actually gives a resolution to this version of Superman. Really? Yeah. Uh, the Brandon Ralph version from Superman Returns is supposed to be the same Superman 2. Who's and Norman Enfield? <laughs> Ca- oh, yeah, this guy here, Ca- uh, uh, Colin Chilvers, uh, Chilvers or whatever. He actually yeah. directed uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. Mm. And that's the reason he was picked because he worked on this movie. Well, it works for him. 
Apparently, Michael's a big fan of this movie. And Derek Meddings, of course, from uh, the Bond films, did the miniature work for them. Um, but yeah, real quick, going back to the music real quick. So, John Williams conducted the um, uh, London Symphony Orchestra, uh, which he also used for, of course, the, the Star Wars movies. The actual single itself, the theme for Superman, was actually released as a single on the Billboard Top 100. It, <laughs> it reached 81. Um, uh, he actually, uh, John Williams actually liked the film and stuff because, in fact, he didn't take itself too seriously. He had a little bit of a camp feel to it. That's why he liked it. Which is what Ned brought to it, really. Yes, he did. Yeah. And like I said, John Williams, of course, did so many goddamn great themes for <laughs> different, mainly Spielberg movies. Jaws. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, of course this, Star Wars, most yeah. famously, the Indiana Jones franchise, Home Alone movies, uh, let's see what else, fucking, uh, did he do the Goonies? I don't remember if he did the Goonies or not. I think he did the Goonies. But, uh, what else, he did, uh, he did other movies too, like, he did like a version of Dracula one time, it wasn't that mm, Yeah. But yeah, he, was, but, he, but, yeah. Dra- quote, Jurassic Park, why don't yeah. Jurassic Park? But fucking, like, just his themes have become so strong and so uh, closely associated with each property. That's what I think is lacking with a lot of, like, big movie franchises They don't put any money into it anymore. Yeah, like, fucking, like, like you can tell him a theme song. Like, oh, shit, I want to, I love that movie. I want to go see that movie. Like, fucking, like, it gets you excited for the movie. Like, the, the fucking Superman has a great fucking theme song. Well, it was like, it was, it was a dying art a long time ago. One of the things that, uh, again, I, I always bring it up because he was such a heavy influence on me. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom, Tom used to rag on us all the time. He said, you know, you guys, he, he said, you kids today, you're making your movies all wrong. He, he'd say, you're, <laughs> you're cutting your movies to match your music instead of writing music to match your movies. Yeah. And I think he definitely has a point there. Like, that's probably the single biggest problem we have is that, you know, so much of it's now, somebody's grabbing this song or that song. Like, oh, I like this. Oh, you know, it's like, oh, let's go get the... Uh, the latest Drake song or whatever it is, and instead of trying to like essentially hire someone to come in and write, write a score and come up with some original music and something that's going to be the underpinnings of what you got going on, mm-hmm. you're just grabbing a bunch of crap that's already out there and trying to force a square peg in a round hole all the time. Yeah, and uh, it just gets it gets lazy and lost. True. All right. So while the credits are shooting, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, knock this out with some uh, fun facts about the movie. Uh, the movie was actually, this movie was actually planned for three years, but shot in two. Um, at the time of this movie, at the time of the movie came out, it had the highest budget of any movie of all time. Uh, this is the first film collaboration between DC and Warner Brothers, uh, even though they had done the uh, Wonder Woman TV show at that point. Um, yeah, that's the first, this is the first actual live action film. Um, the end credit scene is more than seven minutes long. This shit here, yeah. uh, which is actually a record at the time. Uh, this was the highest grossing Warner Brothers movie of the 1970s. And then, funny enough, guess what the highest grossing Warner Brothers movie of the ne- of the 80s was? Batman. Batman. So superhero movies and, and Warner Brothers work pretty well. Yes, they do. Uh, this movie actually surpassed Giant as the highest grossing film in Warner Brothers history. Uh, that has also been since been surpassed. At the time of its release, this was the sixth highest grossing movie of all time. Uh, the movie includes uh, two Oscar winners and six nominees. Uh, Ned Beatty, Jackie Cooper, Terrence Stamp, Suzanne York, Valerie Perrine, and Trevor Howard all nominated. This movie was actually released on the 40th anniversary of Superman's creation from, in 1938. Hmm. Uh, this actually has a lot of behind-the-scenes tie-ins to Star Wars, the first Star Wars, uh, Episode Four: A New Hope. 
Whatever. Yeah, for those people. I just say Star Wars. I, don't, I, don't I knew <laughs> hope. Yeah, I, I knew hope. Yeah. I hope for new. So the Krypton suits were made of uh, uh, scotch light, the material that made the light light up or whatever. That same material was used on the lightsabers. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Carrie Fisher auditioned for Lois Lane. George Lucas turned down the opportunity to direct this movie in favor of Star Wars. And Christopher Reeve, again, was trained by David Prowse, who played Darth Vader. Hmm. Uh, the movie itself was uh, nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards. Uh, three. Uh, it was nominated for Best Film Editing, Best Score, Best Sound, and received a Special Achievement Academy Award for its special effects. Uh, this is the first movie to use the new Dolby Stereo 70 mil, uh, 70mm split stereo surround sound. Uh, of the, uh, the four... Uh, only four of the main actors appeared in the four uh, uh, the four main actors appeared in all four of the Superman movies Christopher Reeve Margot Kidder Jackie Cooper and Mark McClure uh, but on, of those three like I mentioned of those four excuse me only Mark McClure ever appeared in Supergirl there is a poster of Christopher Reeve as Superman in Supergirl and they have a little mm. moment there uh, where she like uh, they, they describe Superman they talk about Superman all the time uh, hey, uh, hey, your cousin's out on Earth or whatever. You should go see him or whatever. And then when she gets there, you hear a radio thing saying Superman is away on an intergalactic peace conference. That kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of the cast of this movie has actually appeared on Smallville. Again, uh, Christopher Reeve has been on there as Dr. Virgil Swan. Margot Kidder was on there as Dr. Bridget Crosby. Uh, Mark McClure was on there again as Daxor, the dude that created Brainiac. Helen Slater, who played Supergirl, was on Smallville as uh, Lara. Superman's mother. Mm-hmm. Terrence Stamp um, came back as the voice of Jor-El and actually they used his likeness for they have, have had a General Zod on there at one point and they, uh, for his spirit oh, right, 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 for right, his right, spirit right. they used the Terrence Stamp likeness. Uh, also uh, Annette O'Toole who plays uh, Lana Lang in Superman 3 is the mother. She's Martha Kent on Smallville. Oh okay. Yeah she was the mother. And, of course, the John Williams music that you hear here has been featured throughout all Smallville, used most heavily in the, the episode with both uh, Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder, and obviously in the finale. They use it full blast at the finale. Hmm. Uh, of course, um, many the success of this movie inspired DC Comics to revamp Superman in the 80s, which led to the John Byrne run, which I've been talking about pretty much throughout the whole movie. Uh, the groundbreaking special effects in this movie, you know, it pretty much... Like, like I said, this is the first of its kind. The current superhero floodgate of movies that you have and um, of different franchises that you have right now in movies, you can have Superman. <laughs> Superman is a thing for that. Mm-hmm. And as such, in uh, 2017, Superman, the movie, was selected for preservation by the Library of Congress. This is uh, National Film Registry to be preserved for all time. As it should be. They did a good job, man. Yes, they did. Yeah. All right, cool. If you've never watched it with uh, Dick Donner and Tom Mankiewicz commentary on yeah. the special features DVD. Oh, my God, it is do great. Do it. It is great. Definitely do it. I mean, look, I'm glad you're listening to us, but yeah. it's going to be better to listen to them. Exactly. <laughs> and actually, funny enough, uh, Margot Kidder, both Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve guest starred on SNL around the same time. And both of them did Superman skits on the show. The funniest one of, of the bunch was Margot Kidder did a skit called Superhero Party. Uh, on the it's like 1979, and it was basically Margot Kidder's Lois Lane and Bill Murray was Superman. <laughs> and so they're hosting a dinner party at their house, and the guests are Dan Aykroyd as the Flash, um, Garrett Morris as Ant Man, 
<laughs> some random dude is the thing, another random dude is Spider Man, and the funniest one of the whole group, John Belushi is the Hulk. <laughs> and it they put and they, a, they insinuate throughout the whole thing, what well, it didn't really insinuate to, they pretty much said it that Lois Lane used to date the Hulk before she dated Superman <laughs> and they fucked a bunch. <laughs> and then at one point, like, uh, there's a gag in the bathroom where you hear a woman screaming and, like, John Lewis is coming out with his pants on. Oh, God damn. Okay, man. Hey, man, I'm telling you, man, next time the invisible girl comes by, she needs to fucking lock the John. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, at one point, uh, he, uh, Bill Murray as Superman is in full Superman regalia and then he leaves it comes back as Clark Kent and kicks everybody out after he finds out that Lois slept with a Hulk. <laughs> it was great, man. Jeez. Oh, and also, uh, funny enough, um, Christopher Reeve also appeared on the Muppet Show as himself around the same time Superman yep. Two came out. Yeah, the, uh, like Christopher Reeve was the first of his kind. Like the the guys you see now, the Chris Evanses, the fucking Chris Hemsworths. Yeah, he yep. was the first Chris. Yep, he was. He was Chris the first Evans, Chris. Chris Hemsworth, Chris the original Pratt. Chris. Actually, that's the name of this episode. The original He's a Chris. Chris. The original Chris. Chris Pratt, Christian Bale. Yep. Yeah. He was the first one. The original Chris. The original Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and the best Chris, in my opinion. Definitely the best actor. The goddamn bunch. All of them are good, but goddamn, they ain't touching him. Nah, he carries it. Oh, my God, man. Oh, well, God, this has been a wonderful experience, bro. Like, I'm man. just happy that we're back together, and I'm happy we finally got a chance to do this We've fucking We've been talking movie. about Superman forever. God damn, we have, man. Like I said, this is one of the first movies that we wanted to do when we first started this shit, and we finally get a chance it, to do it. It took us a minute to get around to it, but I'm glad we did. I'm glad we did, too, man. But we really hope you guys have enjoyed this episode as much as we have had, you know, watching it and doing it ourselves. So this has been Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. I'm AJ. Catch you next time. Peace. Later. Dropping That Culture. 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 Dropping That Culture.